Chains Podcast. I'm Steve. And I'm Ryan. And we continue our journey down the uh, very large card pool, which is Idrisension. Although it's practically the same number of cards as uh, Call of the Archons. But it, it, when you're reviewing each card individually, it seems like there's a lot of cards. Yeah, you get, a, you get more of an appreciation for the the amount of cards in a set when you have to look at every single one of them and think about them, uh, as opposed to opening a deck and having to think about it just on the fly. Yeah. Much yeah. different. <laughs> but I mean, again, like, there's still cards that we're seeing that I was like, I, A, never seen that card before, and B, didn't realize it was printed in Call of the Archons. So, you know. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, Good yeah. Stuff. So, uh, let's jump in right with Logos. We're going to start back up where we left off and go from mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to start with, uh, and these are all uh, alphabetical. Uh, it looks like they're alphabetical by rarity. So commons are first, and then uncommons, and then presumably rares. Yes. So the first card on our docket here is Archimedes, a two-power cyborg beast with elusive. Uh, and just to remind you what elusive is, the first time this creature is attacked each turn, no damage is dealt. And each of Archimedes' neighbors gains, quote, destroyed archive this creature, unquote. And so that means they uh, effectively, his neighbors have the text printed on them, destroyed archive this creature. So it's a destroyed ability that triggers similar to how bad Penny works. Yeah, so there's been some kind of, so so for context, uh, we are definitely recording this after we recorded the other two episodes. So we've had some time in between. Time has passed since we recorded last. Uh, and in, in with that, uh, there's been some kind of uh, uh, confusion, I guess, around how Archimedes works in terms of... I think in terms people of like, clarified how it works, yes. which then caused confusion. Everyone thought they understood how it worked ahead of time. Okay, so there you go. So, so Ryan, uh, you kind of have a, a better grasp on it than I do. So why don't you kind of explain that, and then we can go ahead and rate this card. Sure. So the the whole rigmarole that came up uh, was if Archimedes is in the center of your battle line with neighbors to the left and the right, a bunch of neighbors both directions, and um, you play a board wipe, does Archimedes archive nothing uh, because everyone gets destroyed at the same time? Does Archimedes archive just his neighbors because after they get archived, everything gets destroyed? Or does Archimedes archive everything? And apparently Archimedes archives everything. Um, it's sort of like the the game is checking for the... So it, it archives the two neighbors, and then the game state checks to see if there's any more destroyed effects. And since those two neighbors were gone and there's two new neighbors, it says, oh, hey, look at that, two new neighbors. Well, let's archive them too. And then it just keeps cascading that way until there are no neighbors left. Um, I assumed that it only checked once. That was kind of my understanding. Um, Not that I had anything to go off of that told me that that understanding was correct. But then again, there's nothing in the game that says that my understanding was wrong, which is my kind of main frustration with the rules of the game is that there's nothing comprehensive that really, really, really goes over these things with a fine tooth comb and tells you exactly how things process uh, if as if the game were a computer, so to speak. And coming from magic, it's frustrating. And I know a lot of people say... Keyforge is a new game. Um, they're going to hammer this stuff out. It might be a new game, but the concept of CCGs is not new. Uh, people compare it to Magic. Like, oh, well, when Magic started off, the rules were were awful and really hard to follow. Like, sure, that was also 25 years ago. I feel like Fantasy Flight could have maybe learned a few of their lessons over the last 25 years and implemented them right from the get-go. Um, but 
I'm not criticizing the game as a it's crap. I hate it. Everything's awful. The sky is falling. It's a labor of love kind of thing. I really, really, really enjoy Keyforge, and I'm frustrated that there are these little things that I see the game could be doing better and that it's not. And I just I want it to be the best it could possibly be. And these rules clarifications would go a long way in that in that regard. I just want to make sure I'm playing the game right. And I want to make sure that my opponents are playing the game right. No one has any awful feel bad surprises. And that new players have the best experience possible when they step in. They can read these rules and they know that they're going to, you know, once they understand them, uh, if they play a card wrong, it's because they misunderstood the rules and not because the rules are vague, ambiguous, or non-existent. Right. So, long story long. Yeah. (laughs) So, how do you feel about Archimedes? Uh, Based on that ruling, Archimedes is pretty good. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, At at the very least, um, you're going to archive... I mean, it forces your opponent to kind of dance around it because if Archimedes is out there, do you want to blow up the two guys next to it and have them get archived and just see them again? Or, you know, do you blow up Archimedes first, which ideally, yes, you do, but it's got elusive. So that's not exactly an easy task. So it it, it dictates how your opponent needs to play, which is always a good thing yeah. for you. Yeah. And then, then it's just wasted resources and thing and, so, and something that seems so kind of frivolous, but at the same time, like... And then, you know, when we come to the ruling where now, you know, the, the destroyed checks every instance until there are no destroyed triggers on the, essentially, the destroyed stack, we'll call yeah. it. Um, you know, that just kind of makes this, like, it pretty much just invalidates a board wipe, you know, because it, it's going to go, like, in a normal board wipe situation, it's going to go to your discard pile, you're going to have to play through to reshuffle and then get those cards back this way. This will, like literally, you can pick your hand up, like your board back up, and then play it all again. Um, right. You know, no, it's still slow. It's not for nothing, right? It's it's still slower than like if they just existed on the board, obviously. But you know, that's it's interesting. Yeah, well, not for nothing. There's a lot of ways in this set that to interact with your opponent's archive. Uh, there's Dasanya, right. which is a reprint. It's actually logo, so we'll go over it later. Yep. But that gets you a bunch of Ember for your opponent's archive. Uh, there's the Tree of Archive. I don't remember Tree what the, of the name of it was. Tantadlin or something oh, like that. Yeah, there's yeah. Uh, there's there's a solid double handful. There's two scoops of uh, <laughs> of archive interacting cards. Yep. So Archimedes archiving your battle line um, is still really really powerful and really really great. But at least your opponent isn't just like, oh, cool. This is this is going to be a good time. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, obviously, I you know from context, I think we both say it's strong. Yeah, it's pretty strong. Yeah. Um, so we'll move on to the next card. Enough about Archimedes. Uh, the next card is Binate Rupture. It's an action with Alpha. Uh, this is the first time we're running into Alpha for at least this house review. And Alpha says, you can only play this card before doing anything else this step. Um, so you can still forge a key before Alpha. It doesn't impact previous steps of the game. It's just when you go to choose your house and start playing things or start activating or uh, reaping or using actions, anything else. The very first thing you do is play an alpha card. Only one. It's not like you can play multiple alphas and they all kind of have like an alpha phase. You play one and only one alpha uh, and it locks you out of playing any other alphas. If you make a mistake and you reap before you do your alpha card, tough. Yep. You can't play that alpha card anymore. Uh, Obviously in a friendly game, casual game, they'll probably give you a takesy backsy, but you go to a tournament and you forget your alpha. Nope. Sorry. 
uh, I had to, we played uh, last week, I believe it was, and uh, I had to get some takesy backsies because um, I don't have a lot of uh, exposure to Age of Ascension yet. It not being on Crucible, it's a little difficult to play um, between schedule and just game availability in our area. And uh, I kept I kept trying to play Omega cards too early, Alpha cards too late. And I'm just like, oh, man, I'm so sorry. I'm so bad at this. You'd think running a podcast and everything, I know how to play the freaking game at this point and uh, still messed up my timing. So just pay attention. If you have Alpha and Omega cards in your deck, pay attention to your timing and make sure that you got a, a good grasp on that. Yep. Um, so broke in the middle of Binate Rupture there. So Binate Rupture, Alpha, uh, and then play. Each player gains Ember equal to the Ember in their pool. So it basically doubles each player's Ember. Yep. How do you feel about that? Um, uh, as a person who was burned by this, uh, uh, effectively what happened was, is I was looking at keys for Ember because that's what I've done. And like, we you know, when we went to the Vault Tour, that's what a lot of people did. It was just a little bit easier to kind of see the game state than just piling it all up on your Archon card. Well, my opponent was piling up on their Archon card I looked at their keys and saw they didn't have any amber on their keys, so I played this and then realized that they had eight amber on their their card. <laughs> uh, so I, I handed them two keys. That was fun. Uh, but uh, you know, I think what for for my opinion on, on its strength, I actually think for logos, it's it's actually something that they've needed uh, in the sense of hey, this is just a way to kind of like you know, level the playing field, it definitely works for you. You know, if you can, you can manufacture a situation where this can be beneficial to you, you know, especially with the amount that you can archive in, in logos. Um, so I, I, I'm going to say it's average just because like it is symmetrical and in can, like, like I said, if you play it wrong, it can burn you pretty hard. Um, but, you know, with proper play, like you can turn it to, you know, a pretty strong card. Uh, if you're if you're paying attention, I think that more often than not, it's going to be strong uh, because you'll only use it when it's going to benefit you. Right. And there will be times where it's average or even weak, but I think it's going to be easier to get a strong performance out of it than it is to get an average or weak one. Mm -hmm. You're just going to have more opportunities to, you know, double your ember and then protect the uh, or too much to protect your opponent um, yeah. to take it all away from them or binate rupture and follow it up with some other sort of mass steel or burning or you know something along those lines um it's it's a, a lot easier to get value out of it it seems scary but it's a lot easier to get value out of it than it seems i actually had a deck with one of these yeah I do. Uh, it paid dividends i, I yeah. mean honestly like it is a great like turn after they forge a key right like if you if you're yep. a little slow and you haven't forged a key yet but and they just forged, you know, the return on investment there for you, even if they had, you know, extra amber at the end of the turn, you know, if they had, you know, one amber extra, they get another amber, like okay, and you gained eight, like that that seems good. Yeah. So I'm gonna go strong, you're gonna no, go average. No, I mean I it's a good argument for, for it being a strong card. Um because yeah. cause yeah, you're you're going to try to play it when it most favors you. Yeah. Uh, so next up is Cutthroat Research. It's an action. It gives you a bonus ember, and it says steal two ember if your opponent has eight or more ember. I don't know. Um, so I haven't. I don't have a ton of experience with this card. Um, on its face, I mean, it, it seems like there are ways that you can can manipulate it. I think, given its criteria. Um, I'm going to say it's probably pretty like, I will stick with average on this one. Uh, I mean, it still steals two. That's good. And it gives you an Amber for playing it. That's 
you know, that's that's good on all all fronts right, right there. So, but eight or more is asking. It's a, a big ask. Yeah, I mean, it used to be seven or more was uh was pretty tricky. Um, and seven was was a good ask because if your opponent was only at seven, you only needed to disrupt two of their ember to knock them off a key. Right. Eight means that granted this will take them down to six and then you still need a follow up, which in logos itself is not going to be super easy to pull off. I think it's average though, because it's still steel two. So that means that you're uh, and it gives you a bonus ember. So it's still a net swing of five ember because they're dropping two and you're gaining three. So that's still huge. Just needs them to be eight. So you're almost saying, okay, you can have your key. You don't get any extra ember and I get, three um yeah it's it's fine i think it's average it, it it feels a lot like smith uh like a like a maybe over or a heavy-handed smith where you know smith yeah. is like gain two if you have more creatures than your opponent um and then you're gonna gain one from the card as well but with this it's like egg hey, gain two if your opponent has eight or like like the, the the feel bad here is that you know with creatures you know if you have more creatures than your opponent yeah you're you're technically at advantage right but where this is like i have to play this when my opponent is at advantage and it still might not even keep them off you know so i, yeah. I would say it's average right yeah if your opponent's going for their third key this doesn't do a whole lot for you um not like a, it, it feels like they made ronnie wrist clocks and then they made this and they're like well we can't make it as good as ronnie wrist clocks, so yeah. maybe we'll just make this one you know uh worth noting it does get you that bonus ember yep. though so even if your opponent doesn't have uh if, if your opponent has like four ember you can still use this to get yourself a bonus ember yep. and uh and keep trucking along yeah, i mean that, that's um, pretty much why I, I feel like it's average is like at minimum yeah, it's one right exactly um and so uh next card up here is igor it is a creature cyborg with two power that says play look at the top three cards of your deck add one to your hand and discard the others uh, I mean, this is, uh, and I know people hate this comparison, but I mean, this is classic, like, ponder, right? If I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, like, this, this, not this exactly. is straight it's up a magic card, better. though. Like, this is, like, you play Igor, you get to look at the top three cards of your deck, take one, and then discard the others. Like, yeah. I mean, deck manipulation is always going to be good. Uh, I mean, I, I'm, I, hesitate to say this card strong just because of like it's not like take one put the others back in any order or kind of something like that like they're going to your discard pile which i know helps filter that'd you be, out but yeah i mean that'd be potentially worse yeah. if it put him back on top uh, i think it's straight up strong i mean you dig three deeper uh which means that you can either look for another logos card to let you continue playing on the current turn or you dig through the top three cards and see what of them might be most situationally useful i yeah. uh but the logos deck with finite rupture that i have also has igor and it is fantastic yeah, um i was able to dig for answers for following turns i was able to dig for something that would keep me ahead of my opponent when i was already ahead uh i was never unhappy to see igor in fact they, every time he came up i was like doing a little fist pump for myself yeah, nice. so i'm i'm going strong on this guy hey, i mean i'm fine with you know I, again it's a card that i don't have a ton of experience with uh i yeah. actually don't have any decks with igor in it i don't think um yep i mean it, it could be um positive confirmation bias here where oh, like, no, but you know, even still, i've like... only had good experiences with it but you know i've, I've i still feel like it's a, just a strong card yeah, that's fine uh, so we'll move on to Helper Bot is a creature robot with one power that says play. You may play one non-Logos card this turn. Um, it's phase shift 
with one power. Yep. So instead of an action, it's a creature. And that makes it so much better. It's a phase shift that then reaps. Yep. Like, there's no downside to this. It is a strictly better phase shift. Um, except for maybe some other uh, situations, some niche situations. But Helperbot is fantastic. Yep. Um, I had Igor, I, the deck with Igor has Helperbot oh, in it. So with Igor, I'm able to dig for three, grab whatever I want, play the Helperbot, and then play what I just grabbed, even if it's not in the Logos house. So. Those two together are great. Binate Rupture plus Helperbot, also great because, you know, you double all the Ember and then you can Helperbot into a Too Much to Protect or some other mass steal or swing uh, mechanic. Yeah, I, I agree. So, I think Helperbot is yeah. completely ridiculous. It's very strong. Right. Even even if even if your Helperbot does nothing more than just gain you a single Ember by just throwing a card away, that's still house cheating. Yeah. Um, which, as we've said, is hugely strong. House cheating is probably one of the strongest mechanics in the game. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Helperbot, definitely strong. Uh, and art, hilarious. I love this art. Yep. It's so that's great. pretty good. Um, yeah. Uh, so we'll move on, yeah, move on to Hexbeon. It's a creature, AI, um, which... I guess would mean it's not a creature, but you know, whatever. Uh, it's a creature AI with two power that says destroyed archive Hexbeon and the top card of your deck. I feel like we're doing this thing where we're going to go through and there's going to be a lot of weirdly strong cards in this, in this house. Um, I, you got to watch this happen and granted I didn't win, but no, but it was bonkers. I have a deck, the, the, the deck that I played last Tuesday, um, for the majority of the, the, the day, we, we didn't do any uh, chain bound stuff. We were just, you know, kind of jamming games. Uh, so I was kind of playing around with stuff, but this one, I, this deck I like settled on um, because I was just wanted to see the sheer power of archiving in age of Ascension and man, having three Hexpians in a deck, <laughs> like it was awesome because it was just like, I'd put them out. Like the, the best comparison I have for Hexpian is, is, is it, it's a better bad penny in a way. Because yeah. you play it, you know, you're going to just sit there and reap with it because it's pretty non-threatening. Then, you know, someone drops that board wipe, you archive all three of those, and then you archive the top three cards of your deck. And then now you get to draw that and, you know, hey, like, you, you at least have a good Logos turn where you're going to play three creatures, <laughs> you know, at the right. same time. But in, like I had a blast playing with Hexpian, and and honestly, it does get you into cards that you you know, like it gets you into more cards faster. Uh, if you really think about it, like you know what we were talking about with Igor, um, which I was wrong on, but that's fine. <laughs> but yeah, you, know, you, you were talking about like you know we're using that same example that we used with Igor, like it, it's potential uh, uh, itself and another card from the deck, and and like and it's not going yeah. to your discard pile; it's going to your hand next turn. Or, you know what, it doesn't even have to. Like, you could be like, oh, I'm going to save that for a rainy day, and, and Hexpian can just live in your in your uh, your archive, archive not, yeah. not clogging up your hand. I mean, granted, if, once you pull it back, it's going to clog up your hand if, you like, the cards that you wanted out of there weren't logos. But, okay, sure, whatever, but it's not... Like, not a big deal. Like, I mean, it's, yeah. it's, like I said, if we're, we're comparing it to, to kind of call the Archon cards, it feels like a much better Bad Penny. Yeah, I agree. It, it, seeker needle shenanigans and other ways of abusing that destroyed vector hand trigger aside, because right. obviously Bad Penny really benefits from from stuff like that where you can play it repeatedly. Um, if you take that out of the equation, Hexbeon is just a better version of Bad Penny. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess the, the, the thing there is more consistent, right? Sure. 
well, she, he gets you two cards. He gets you himself and another right. card. Bad Penny just gets you herself. So it's it's kind of a two for one whenever it dies, yep. which is crazy value. It's just a straight up strong card. Yep. Uh, so we'll move on to Lab Work. Um, it is an action. It gives you a bonus ember and says, archive a card. Um, you may remember it from Call of the Archons because it is a reprint. Uh, how do you feel about Lab Work, Steve? I mean, I think in this set, where they really upped the ante on how archiving works. I feel like lab work ends up falling into kind of the more average side of things. I mean, it gives you an amber and you archive a card, but it, it's not like it's really replacing itself. It's sort of like Hexpian would be. Uh, well, Hexpian's literally giving you itself. Um, you know, like I, I think there are better cards in that in this house that do archiving really, really well. Uh, we'll get to those shortly. Um, but uh lab works good I, I mean it's it's but it's not like you know insane it's no helper bot right I, I think lab work is strong i mean it gives you a bonus ember it archives a card out of your hand um so it kind of slowly replaces itself but you can still draw a card to replace it i think it's it's a great card i'd rather have yeah, I don't know what I'd rather have. I'd rather have Igor, I think, but uh, but it's still great. Uh, I would rather have cards that are later on in the set. That That's true. Uh, so you're calling it average? Yeah, I, I mean, it, it doesn't... Yeah. I, I'm not blown away by it. it yeah, it's a good card, I, I but it's... I mean, it, uh, it's not... It's it's, it's very yeah. staple to me. Like, it, it, it's not... It, you know, it, you know, it's 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 a, to make another magic allegory. Like, to me, you know, it's a 2-2 two, two for 2, right? Like it's bear. Yeah, it'll get the job done. I don't know. I think it's strong because I, I favor strategies and I favor decks where I'm churning through my cards as fast as possible. And it helps out with that because um, it gets a card out of my hand, which is itself. And then it also gets another card out of my hand into my archive. So I can, so I don't lose access to that card. Uh, Cause the, what I always hated is having a board wipe in my hand, having a gateway to disc or a hand of disc in my hand. And then, saying, okay, well, I don't have a good target or it's not a good time to use this and it's just going to sit here and clog up my hand. So I either discard it, which means I can't count on getting it later, which, okay, that's a price you pay. Mm -hmm. Or I can use lab work, archive it, and then I just get to pull it whenever it's going to be relevant. Um, archiving, you know, archiving is one of the most powerful things you can be doing in uh, in the game and lab work lets you do it. Yeah. So I, I think it's a straight up yeah, I Yeah, it's fair. Yeah. I mean, I, I um, again, I, I'm like, for me, it's like I have to have lab work in my hand and the board wipe at the same time, and you know, like, sure. like it happens, like it obviously happens because I I do it, but like, eh, yeah, I, I think um the the situations in which lab work will be bad are like zero. There's like no situation in which it's bad unless you're about to lose the <laughs> game, and then you're like, wow, I wish I just drawn something that stopped me from losing the game. But I mean, you know, you could say that about any right, card, right. um, and. It's it's worst case scenario is that it's fine uh, and it is going to be better than fine the vast majority of the time. So I don't know. I like it. I think it's solid. I'm never unhappy to see it. And I'm actually uh, I'm always you know excited to get it into my hand. It's not flashy, but it does a, a really strong effect. Yeah. So next up is Library of Babel. It's an artifact location that has action. Draw a card. And this is a reprint from last set. Eh, it's average. Like It gets you a card. It, yeah, it gets like you a card. Every time you call um, it, logos, it, pretty much. I mean, it's not. It's pretty good. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm on the fence of whether it's strong or average because it comes down, and then every turn after that, when you call logos, you just get a free card. Um, it's not quite as good as archiving, but you know, it 
it's still pretty solid. So I don't know. I, I'm going to call it average, but I could also see uh, an argument for it being strong. I mean, it, so for me, it's like Library of the Damned in the sense that I'm more excited when I have more than one. But if I have one in the deck, it's fine. Like it gets me a card. You know, it's like right. it's a, its power comes in multiples as opposed to right, and that's totally yeah. true. Yeah. Uh, if you if you get like two three library of Babels down, that's just ridiculous. Yeah, because you're you're yes, getting I, you, you totally. effectively give yourself a, a nine hand card like a nine card hand every turn every time yeah. you call logos. Absolutely. Um. So uh, I think I think both saying yeah. average, but probably towards a stronger end of average there. Um. So uh, we'll go on to Pip Pip. It is a two power creature, human scientist, and it says after an enemy creature reaps, stun it. So these this set of cards, because this is not I mean we we talked about uh Amber Imp in uh Dis and just the strength of that. Um uh it, th- these cards like I, I, I can't not call this one just as strong. The only difference is that it doesn't have elusive, uh like uh Amber Imp does. Um well it's important to note too, after an enemy creature. That is reaps, true. So it doesn't Ember Imp hits your stuff and their stuff. Pipip is literally just straight up your yeah, opponent it, has to deal with this or their stuff gets stunned. It's a fantastic. Yeah, like I, I was, yeah, it's still strong regardless. Like I mean, if if we're calling Amber Imp strong and that's symmetrical, you know, this is. Yeah. I mean, it it just means that they got to deal with it before they they reap with something, and that means that they might, you know, that's one less. If it, even if they throw a creature at it, that's one less Amber yep. they they are throwing at you or they're reaping for exactly you know and and you know if they don't have a means of really dealing with it comfortably like then they have then and they choose to reap you know that that creature is kind of you know out of the game for until they decide to you know use it again yeah it's it's a great card um so we'll move on to poke uh, it is an action that gives you a bonus ember and says, deal one damage to an enemy creature. If this damage destroys that creature, draw a card. So this card for me comes, you know, I, I, it's very situational. Um, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of, inc- like, again, we've talked about this a lot. It's a lot of incidental damage um, in Age of Ascension and can certainly uh, be useful in a lot of si- situations where, like, hey, I just need one- to do one more damage to this big boy and, and get rid of it. Or, you know, hey, tent, uh, Restringentist is on the board. I need to get rid of that. Um, yep. You know, barring that they didn't Restringentist you out of Logos. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and it draws you a card if you destroy the creature, creature you know, uh, and then it, it's one Amber. I, it, it, for me, it feels weak because the situations where it's going to kind of do what it wants to do is probably lower than the, 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 the ceiling, I guess. Yeah, I, I, I've had a deck that had it in it, and um, I haven't played the deck a ton, but I played it a little bit, and it was very underwhelming. I mean, it got me a bonus ember, which was nice. Um, it dealt one damage um, every time, which also, you know, nice. Um, but it, it rarely it rarely got me that card. So I kind of have to evaluate this as just bonus ember, deal one damage. And that's, that's pretty yeah. sad. Like, that's not, I'm not excited no. about that. I mean, it gets in Amber. I mean. Right. And I mean, there are targets for it. It's not like it'll never get you that card. But I mean, like, it's it's a little too situational to depend on the card. So you have to evaluate it as just deal one damage bonus Ember. And that's not, it's yeah. not exciting. It's not, that's not good. 
So I'm going to call I it. I mean, the, as well. the, the one thing I'll, I'll go back to is like we we're kind of talking about cutthroat research and the steal two if your opponent has eight in that situationalness. I think for me, that two amp, like just to clarify, because like, you know, we did say like, hey, the floor on cutthroat research is one amber. Um, at least with cutthroat research, you are, you have that chance for a three amber swing, right? As opposed to an amber and draw card. Like, I would rather have the chance at the three amber swing and have get an amber than the one damage potentially draw a card from it and one amber right i mean you look at cutthroat it's easy to look at cutthroat and think oh okay so this is is bad because it's not going to take my opponent off a key but that's not cutthroat's purpose it's not supposed to take your opponent off a key it's supposed to close the gap between you and your opponent or or widen it if you're uh if you're ahead of key um but you don't depend on it to stop your opponent and so you have to kind of evaluate it with that in mind is that okay what's the purpose of this card and the purpose of poke it, it the purpose of poke is one of two things it's supposed to get you a card or it's supposed to to deal damage and it does neither of those things with any degree of consistency or power um like we look at we look at punch uh is a classic brobnar card which obviously their thing is you know doing damage and punching people and stuff and that seems like, you know, deal three, gain one ember, poke not not even close. It's, it's a third of that card. And punch, even though it can never draw you a card, is still better. Like, I would rather have three damage over the possibility of drawing a card. So poke doesn't really... What it's trying to do, it doesn't do a very good right. job of. It's not... It's going to be rare for it to kill something, you know. Um, not rare. I'm sorry. It's not rare, but it's, it's just too situational to count on it. So you don't want to hang on to it in your hand. And so you're playing it just for one damage, which I don't know. It's just not great. So, uh, so I'm calling weak on that. It sounds like you are as well. Uh, so we'll move on to professor Sutterkin. He is a creature, a two power creature, human scientist that says reap, draw a card for each friendly logos creature. Now, uh, I always have this habit of somehow, forgetting that the word reap doesn't say play <laughs> and so i'll be like oh i've got two logos creatures out and i'll just play my sutterkin and dr-. no i won't that says reap wow totally totally set this whole yeah. turn up wrong um so at minimum it's getting you one card right because it count. it doesn't say each other friendly logos creature it's each friendly Correct. logos creature so it counts itself um you know yep. in my triple hexpian deck this would be great <laughs> um <laughs> but you know it i i think it's you know, it's pretty average. You know, it, like its thing is going to get you a the a card draw and an amber and 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 like it, yeah. oh, turn over turn right. Like if as long as it survives, you know, obviously, you know. And as you play more creatures, it's going to get better. Um, but you know, it, it's kind of hard to to kind of keep the board in your favor in that sense. But I think you know, you know, d- uh, two benefits for reaping is always good. Uh, you know, it's not. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not wild about it. I think it's it's still average, but it's on the lower end of average. Um, if you if it survives and you have so it's asking a couple things. It has to survive with two power, not necessarily a guarantee. Uh, and then on top of that, you have to have other logos creatures in play, or you have to play more logos creatures. Um, so. Not that that's a big ask either, but it's still it's still an ask. It doesn't just give you value right off the top, so that kind of precludes it from being strong. And then if we're evaluating it on you know whether or not it's average, uh, that two power, the fact that it, it probably is going to die before you know you get a chance to use it, kind of puts it towards the lower end on 
on my personal okay. scale for it. So I'm going to still call it average, but it's it's lower on that end. Yeah. So. Um, so we'll move on to standardized testing. It is an action that says destroy each creature with the lowest power and each creature with the highest power. So uh, it looks at tie. So if there's only one creature with the lowest power, that one creature gets blown up. If there's three creatures that all have two power and that's the lowest amount on the board, all three of those creatures get blown up. Um, so very weird board wipey style, not board wipe. Um, I don't know. I think it's still really pretty it's strong pretty strong uh especially con consistent consistent powers like you you know if the, if the board isn't too crazy you, you, there is a you know there's a good chance that highest power and lowest power are going to be the same um or, or not the yeah, same but if, like if you're going to have a lowest power creature you know the lowest power creatures are all going to go away and then like the highest power creatures that could be the entire board right there right you know right i mean you're, yeah, this could just be a straight up board wipe, depending on how yeah. everything shakes out. It could also be a one sided board wipe if, you know, if things are, depending on how things shake out. I think the floor on this card is that uh, right. you discard it. Like, you know, there's just, you, you have the highest and the lowest power of creatures. And I mean, unless, I don't know, there, there's not a lot of situations where that's not. And it also can play into, into a lot of synergies with other houses. Like if you have this and you're, you know, this there. And say you have uh, an ember imp on the table, you're getting two ember for playing this because you're low, you know, you had the lowest power creature, you know. So that that creature goes away, you get two ember, and you didn't really put the rest of your board at risk for it. Um, you know, granted there are ways of killing ember imp without having to you know attempt a board wipe here, um, but I I do think like there are high benefits for this card. I mean, I wouldn't say it's like top tier you know strong but it's it's certainly strong yeah i do mean dust imp on that the other uh, one that gets sorry dust imp, when it gets blown right. up imp is the, uh, okay the... yeah that's fine and, but ember imp is you know if you need to get rid of your ember imp and you're like oh i need to uh stop stunning my own stuff when i reap then you know bam you can blow it up with standardized testing um i think it's i think it's weirdly strong and i could i could see myself just completely misevaluating this because it's a weird card um and i've only had good experiences using it so I need to pay attention to situations in which it's a dead card and how often that's the case before I can really like lock in and say it's definitely strong or definitely average or definitely weak. But for now, my my instinct is strong. So that's what I'm going to go with on it. Um, so we'll move on to the next card, Titan Librarian. It is a four power uh, cyborg scientist creature that says at the end of your turn, if Titan Librarian is not on a flank, archive a card. So I believe, if memory serves, you archive uh, before your draw. I believe that is the case, yes, because uh, we'd have to go look it up, but I believe that is the case. I, I remember it's whatever whatever one is better for you is the thing that happens. I remember when I was reading, I'm like, oh, that's great. That's the, the best option. Um, so you, you get to the end of your turn. If you have any cards left in your hand uh, and Titan Librarian is not on a flank, you put one in your archive and then you draw back up to six. So you archive the then draw, which is yeah. fantastic because now you have an you see an extra card. Plus, you can just take the card back out of your archive the next turn if you want to. Um, it's a, a fantastically strong card, and it's not a big ask. It just doesn't want to be on a flank, which it's actually harder to keep something on a flank than it is to keep something yeah. off of a flank. Um, so I just straight up yeah. I, so this is what I was one of the cards I was talking about that I'd rather see than lab work. 
in, in just single-handedly, like just card strength, pure card strength. This is going to get me if I, like, again, if I, I there is, it, I'm not going to call this Magic Christmas Land because this is pretty easy to do. Um, is like, you could put things next to it that are way more threatening than that, that archive a card at the end of my turn. And or you know you get with deploy stuff you can manipulate your own battle line to make sure the Titan Librarian is always not on a flank and always protected by something with taunt or you know when we get into Sanctum there's a lot more taunt going on in Sanctum these days you know you can do a lot to make Titan Librarian or or you know you got your Archimedes we can just even use an example right away you know from from the set you got your yeah. Archimedes right next to it they're going to be heavily dissuaded from because it's just going to come back. And you grant it'll be on a flank, but yep. you probably can follow that up with something else. You know, like it, it's this is the card that I would much rather have than lab work. And it also reaps for me. Yeah. Like I could probably get more than one more than one amber out of it than than lab work. Yeah, I'd like I, that yeah, both. I mean it's fair, but I mean like <laughs> the Titan Librarian for me, uh it's strong. I, I we played friend of the show Brian yeah, played a tit- two Titan librarians I believe against me and that was a painful experience. It's definitely a strong card, um, and I'm always happy to see it. Uh, so we'll move on to the next card, Titan Mechanic. It is a six power creature, cyborg scientist. Uh, while Titan Mechanic is on a flank. Each key costs one ember less, and that's a symmetrical effect. Your opponent's keys cost one less, your keys cost one less. This is a reprint from uh, Call the Archons. Um, it's uh, I don't I don't know. It's weird if you're if you're ahead um, and you can put it on your flank, it's good. If uh, if you're behind, you definitely don't want this on your flank unless you're starting to catch up, and then your keys can cost a little less. Like, it's a it's a really like hyper situational card and I've been burned by it as many times as I've been rewarded by it. So it's really, really difficult and weird to kind of evaluate it. Um, I, most of the time when I play this card, I feel like it's too risky. I just play it. I try to keep it off of the flank and I just treated it as a six power. Yeah. I, I really have sort of similar to you. I have very mixed feelings about this card. I was actually hoping this set once we found out that this card was being printed in the set and we saw a lot of the things that were coming along with it was hoping that this card could be better um that that we could you know with just the the ability to manipulate the battle line really helped you know you know when i first saw deploy actually like the first card i thought about was this one um and and honestly i really when it comes down to it though i i still feel like it's it's pretty average it's a beef it's a beefy boy for for logos which is nice well i guess the ideal the ideal line of play for it is that you put it not on the flank and then you put a really really threatening creature or a really uh, a creature they're incentivized to destroy like let's say the titan librarian we just mentioned you put that to the left or the right of your titan mechanic so if they want to blow up the titan librarian then that means that your mechanic is going to be live and reducing your key cost um so they have to weigh that decision of is it worth giving them effectively one ember when they forge a key or, or potentially giving them a key when they otherwise might not have had one um because you know you'd be at five ember, uh, 
or is it you know worth leaving that titan librarian around and letting the mechanic not reduce key costs so that's it kind of requires some very delicate positioning and it requires you to be in a situation where that positioning matters there's been a lot of times where both my opponent and i are at one ember for several turns and titan mechanic has zero effect on the game and no one really cares that it's there so i, I kind of lean towards yeah. weak on it i mean it's it, like there's it's either most of the time it's either going to not have any effect whatsoever. Uh, it's going to blow up in my face. Um, and then very rarely will it actually benefit me without benefiting my opponent. So one out of, I guess there's actually a fourth situation. So it's either, it does nothing. It only benefits my opponent. It benefits both of us. And then it only benefits me. So three out of those four situations are not great. Um, and that's just, that's not a card I want to see in my deck. If at all possible, I'd rather have a Titan librarian over a Titan. Yeah, mechanic I, I agree. And they're the same rarity, so that's not a big ask. Um, so I'm calling it weak. Are you going to stick with average, or you want to go down to weak? Uh, I, I think the big thing for me is is it in a house that it has a hard time kind of dealing with bigger threats. It it helps being six power. Yeah, that's fair. Um, whether or not that's enough to for me to call it an average card, given how potentially detrimental it could be I, I i don't know i'll stick with average as like my gut feeling but i know i'm i'm not yeah. married to that at all totally fine uh so we'll move on to wild wormhole it is an action it gives you a bonus ember and says play the top card of your deck so the way that this breaks down and resolves uh, this is a reprint by the way the way this breaks down and resolves is the very first thing you do is you gain your bonus ember then wild wormhole uh, goes to the discard pile and you flip over the top card of your deck. Uh, then you play that card and you resolve all the effects on that card. There's another card that I, I want to give it a score than, than I think it really deserves just because how much fun it is to play. Uh, but, but it, it, it's, it's way too random for me. This is, this is my favorite card in the entire game of Keyforge. I have a deck with three wild wormholes in it. Um, it is a weak card because it's so random. Um, if you have a way, so I will say it becomes a very, very strong card if you have a way to somehow set up the top of your deck and know what the top of your deck is. But I don't, off the, off the top of my head, I don't remember a lot of cards or even think there might be cards where you really have a lot of uh, control over the top of your deck. I know Dexter was one um, from the last set, but he didn't nope. see a reprint, I don't think. We would have already talked um, about him. So you've got, right. So we'll, maybe we'll keep our eyes open as we keep going through the, uh, the set review here. But... Um, while I admit that it is, again, my favorite card in the entire game, uh, it is a weak card because it is so random. I had I had someone that spent their entire turn building up this giant, massive board of Logos creatures. They had like eight creatures on the table, and uh, they were looking to, uh, if I couldn't stop them, uh, they were going to just reap with all eight of these creatures their following turn and win the game. They wild wormhole uh, just to get that last ember to forge a key. Uh, this would have been key two for them, and then the next turn they would have uh, reaped everything and gotten their third key. Anyway, they play the Wild Wormhole just for that bonus ember, flip into a Coward's End, and blew up their entire board. Uh, came back, and it came by. They still ended up winning the game, but it dragged on a little bit longer, and it was way closer than it would have been at that point. Um, so they it totally hosed them, uh, and it was hilarious. Uh, they didn't find it as funny as I did, but the, the number of times I've drawn a board wipe that you know I was. I was in the, the beneficial position uh, would astound you. Yeah, I, uh, I, I 
I love moments like that in games where it's just like, hey, let's roll the dice and have this crazy thing happen. But I understand that from a competitive-ish mindset, or if you're just trying to evaluate the quality of a card, that is not a quality you want in a card is random. So I'm going to call it weak, but it is yeah, an A+. It's definitely fun. High, high fun, uh, but yeah, it's a pretty weak card. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we'll move on to ZYX or Zix Researcher, depending on whether or not you want to uh, acknowledge the presence of the periods in his name there. Uh, Zix Researcher is a two-power creature, human scientist, that says, play, archive the top card of your deck or the top card of your discard pile. It's pretty strong. I it's strong. Uh, I have a deck with uh, with the whole crew. Uh, it actually has two directors, <laughs> which we'll get into shortly here. But uh, Yep. Yeah, because it's part of the cycle. There's a Zix Researcher, the director of Zix, and then Project is Zix, it Project yeah. Zix? Is that the third one? Uh, yep, so. it, again, it, it's a it's an archive top card of your deck. I mean, granted, you might not know it's on top top or you know, but you do know it's on the top of your discard pile. Like that 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 choice where you like I can go with you know the thing that I know or the thing that I don't know. Um, yeah, it's a free card. It's a free card. So it's funny we we just do wild wormhole and now we see Zix researcher and there's a big difference between being forced to play the top card of your deck and even drawing versus archiving like i would rather archive the top card of my deck than necessarily draw it there's few situations where i'm like okay i really need to roll the dice and hope the top card of my card uh, top card of my deck is fantastic for me to be able to draw it and, and play it archive even if it's not part of the uh, the logos house which is when you'd be playing the zix researcher and triggering the ability um the fact that you can archive it means you don't it doesn't clog up your hand you can still draw a sixth card to replace the researcher while still having access to your archive it comes to hand um, size. yeah it's straight, straight good it's strong yeah, and they and that's just like if it only said archive the top card of your deck, it would be strong. The fact that you also have uh, the option of discarding the top card of your discard pile, which you do know and could be relevant. Maybe you just played it last turn and you're like, yeah, I want to rock this bad boy again. Um, that's fantastic. Yeah. That's huge. It's also worth noting uh, this is the first card, I believe, Um out of uh, Call of the Archons and Age of Ascension, that ma- where your um your the order of your discard pile matters. So one thing that's in the basic rules is you cannot change the order that your discard pile uh, exists in. Um, this is the first card that shows why it ha- you know the top card of your discard pile is the top card of your discard pile, and there's there's no fiddling around with it. You can't organize it or, you know, put stuff in different piles to make it a little easier to, to see what you've gone through or not. Like it has to stay in the order. It hits the uh, discard pile in. Yeah. Um, which is yet another thing in the rules that we don't necessarily have a lot of clarity into is, you know, if you have an upgrade on a creature and the creature gets destroyed, does the creature hit the discard pile first or is the upgrade put into the discard? Uh, pile first? I would imagine yeah. I'm sure it's answered. I'm sure the answer's out there, but I'm just saying, like, you can't look in the basic rules and find that out. Um, so we'll move on to, speaking of upgrades, uh, backup copy. It is an upgrade, and it gives you a bonus ember, and it says this creature gains, quote-unquote here, destroyed, put this creature on top of your deck. So it gains the destroyed ability, and it puts it on top of your deck. Ah, what? I don't know. I think that's pretty So think about good. what this is. Um, it, it, it is literally, no, it's biometrics backup. It's a worse version of biometrics backup. Yeah, it, that, that's pretty much what it comes down to. Uh, cause again, we talk about like hand size, right. And, in, in drawing cards. So what this effectively means is when this creature is destroyed at the end of your turn, your next turn, you know, given whenever it's destroyed, uh, you draw that card. 
where Biomatrix Backup puts a card into your archive. You can ignore that card for the rest of the game if you really want to, or you can draw it when it's most advantageous. Um, I mean, it's still good. It's still it's still strong. I mean, it's obviously not Biomatrix Backup strong, but yeah. I'd, I'd go with you on that journey. I think it's strong. I think it's maybe on the... I don't even know if no, I'd say it's, it's a lower end of strong. It's not as good as bi- a Biomatrix backup, but it's still good. Um, and we're seeing a lot of play effects in Logos so far. So I, I think that taking something like your Zix Researcher that we just talked about, putting a backup copy on it, and that way you can play it again and get that play effect to happen again um, is a pretty sweet line of play. Or Helperbot, you get two cheats. Yep. Oh yeah, yeah, that's true too. So uh, yeah, I think I think it's strong. I was originally going to say average because I wasn't wild about like just I don't know putting something right back on top of my uh, on my deck, but um, I think yeah. I think I'm coming. Uh, around. I mean, I think it's strong. It, it, again, there's a lot of play effects so far that we've we've talked about right now, and and I think like it. Right. It, exactly. Really good. Yeah. Um, so we'll move on to bouncing death quark. Uh, it is an action that says destroy an enemy creature and a friendly creature. You may repeat this effect as many times as you like, as long as it is possible to repeat the entire effect. So you can't, uh, for example, destroy an enemy creature, destroy one of your creatures, destroy an enemy creature, and then you have no creatures left. So you just get a two for one out right. of that. That's not possible. If you, uh, you can, however, have zero creatures in play, destroy your opponent's creature, and then right. not destroy your own. So that first iteration of destroying an enemy creature and a friendly creature, that can yeah. be one-sided. It's just that if you want to then destroy additional enemy creatures, you need additional friendly yeah. creatures to do that as well. Um, so this yeah, is I, a fantastic card. Don't need to go, like, any, there's so much control over how this card performs. There's there, there's no way. Yeah, because you get to choose the enemy if, if it said your opponent gets to destroy a friendly creature, like one of your creatures, then uh, it would still be good, but it would be a yeah. lot worse. Um, the fact that you get to choose your opponent's best creature and your worst creature yeah. makes us fantastic. Um, it's so good. And it's a great podcast. Great people to play against. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. So shout out to the Bouncing Death Clark podcast, uh, Kodamron and Kira Mode. Great guys. So we'll go on to the next card here. Brain Eater is a six power creature, cyborg beast that says, after a creature is destroyed fighting Brain Eater, draw a card. Um, it's worth noting Brain Eater has to survive the fight itself Correct. for you to draw a card because it needs to exist for the ability to exist. And if it dies in the fight, it cannot, after that fight, right. provide its ability. Uh, it's good. I, I mean, uh, it's, it's not... Because because it, it, it falls in line with other cards like Overlord Grecking and or Crump, where you're you're you're, either, you're taking something from your opponent, right? This one is like cool. I draw a card at the end of it. Granted, six power creature. It's pretty beefy. It's gonna crack into some some of the more annoying things and and get you that card at the end. Um, but you know for. Right. You know, it, like it's not setting my opponent back, and I can't. I have to make that. I mean, it still draws you a card. That's still good. I'd say it's average, but yeah, I'm in the same boat. I mean, it's it's probably towards the upper end of average because it is a six power beater, and it's yeah. going to get you a couple cards out of it. Um, but your opponent can have, it doesn't do much beyond that. Like it's it's kind of a, a removal card, a removal spell, removal ability, whatever. Um, that also draws you a card. So it's I mean I don't know. Is that that's pretty good though? 
Like it just sits there because your opponent doesn't want to fight into it because then it's going to draw you a card if he throws a creature into it, unless that creature is going to kill it. But then he also just lost a creature. Um, I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe I feel like strong. that, like that trade. I, I'm not sure that trade is, is, is worth it as it might seem like. Well, let's say they send So they don't want to attack it with anything less than a six power creature, which means until it gets. Uh, so if they want to just eliminate it immediately, they either need to spend a card eliminating it or they need to crash something with six or more power into it, um, which means they probably lost whatever they crashed into it. And you don't get to draw your card, but that's fine. Um, or it ate a removal spell, which means something else of yours did not eat a removal spell. But now it comes back to your turn if they didn't deal with it. And now your brain eater can fight something of theirs. And you get to draw a card. So and if kill we look at this, theirs. so I mean that's fair. So if it survives and you call Logos again, it replaces itself immediately. Well, not immediately, but it replaces itself and blows up a, a, an opponent's creature. Even if uh, so, the limitation at that point is that the enemy creature has to be five power or less. Because if the brain eater dies, right. then you don't get the card. However. If you do fight something that's six power with it, well, okay, so you traded six power for six power. You're not down anything because you got rid of something and you lost something. So that's not the worst trade in the world. Um, even if you go after something that's like nine power, that still takes a big chunk out of its health pool. Um, I, 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 I feel like I might upgrade this to... I'm, I'm going to upgrade this to strong. There's just so much upside. What's the, the worst case scenario? So unlike Titan Mechanic, this will never help your opponent. But it's still a six power creature. Like at at the absolute worst, it's a six power creature that you know what eats another creature or eats a removal spell. Like I, I fail to see how this could ever be a bad card. Well, unless I'm not your saying it's a bad no card. I, I'm or just saying it's like <laughs> no, no. But I'm, I'm evaluating yeah. what the worst case scenarios for this card are, and I don't I don't see a lot of worst case scenarios. If they don't have any creatures, then Brain Eater is bad. Um, but if they don't have any creatures, you're probably in pretty good state. And there's a lot of cards that aren't going right. to be good. Right. I just. <laughs> The thing for me is like, what does it do to the board state when when you when right you now. when what you, do you, what do you, when do you crack into it? Right. If you think about the other the other cards that do the same thing, they're taking amber away or they're stealing a creature. Like this potentially draws you into a card that you could play this turn, or potentially draw you into a card that you can't do anything with. Or, you know, you can't do anything with this turn, and now you're going to draw one less card at the end of your turn. Um, I guess, but, I mean, I don't know. I, I still think it may, maybe maybe it's on the lower end of strong, but I still think it's strong because it, it does get rid of a, a problem, uh, potentially gets rid of a problem, and gives you a card to replace itself. Uh, you know, like you said, there is a downside to maybe the card you drew doesn't help you that much, but, I mean, oh well. It's, yeah, you still get a creature I, on the board. What was that? What was the average power of a, of a creature in in this set? Was it like three point two nine or something like that? It, it rounded to four. So I, I the other argument there is that at most you're getting two cards out of this card. You know, on on average. Well, one because the second right, actually, yeah, that's a good point. So you're gonna get maybe one, or you're gonna get one. Sorry. Yeah. You get one. You're gonna get one, and you'll kill two things. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I'm gonna stick with average. Uh, it's 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 not it, it it's setting the board back. Yeah, but I'm not. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I it's still not wowing me. Totally understandable. Um, I'm still gonna call it strong, but I totally I get where you're coming from on it.
Um, so we'll go to the next card. Director of Zix uh, is a three-power creature, cyborg scientist with elusive that says, at the start of your turn, archive the top card of your deck. Um, seems good. Yeah, it's... <laughs> uh, it, so the thing that I found with this card is, um, well, friend of the show, Brian, learned pretty quickly, actually. But the, the times that I've had it on the table... It goes unnoticed, and it, and also because it has elusive. So when you kind of look at it, you're like, "Oh man, do I really care about that archiving a card to just crush into you know to 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 devote two creatures to taking out the director?" And then so like there's a couple of times where I end up archiving like four cards through the director, uh, and again I have a deck with two of them in it, and it. it and then you end up pulling like a monster hand on, on the turn that you know that you can really you know, utilize that monster hand. And granted, you probably aren't drawing for a couple turns because you you've archived quite a bit. But I I, I think it's a strong card. It, it's again, it's archiving is is pretty much just an a, an attachment to your hand. Um, so I I, I feel like it's good. It's it's really strong it's 100 yeah it's 100 strong um this is just crazy good uh you definitely want as many of these as you can get your hands on um it is an uncommon uh i guess i should say by the way we moved into the uncommons after zix researcher so backup copy bouncing death quark brain eater and now director of zix are all uncommons as well as the rest of the cards here i'll try and call when we make that switch over to the rares as well apologize for that um we'll move on to the next card eureka exclamation point uh, it is an action. It gives you a bonus ember. It has alpha. So again, remember, have to play this as the first card, uh, first thing you do on your turn. Uh, then it says, gain two ember, archive two random cards from your hand. This card is stupid good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's random cards. I'm a, so I, my, my, my first impression of it is like, oh, that's kind of, I mean, you know, you do gain two, but then you archive two random cards, but maybe those are the cards I was going to use. And sure, sure. I mean, maybe you happen to archive the two cards from your hand that you were planning on using your only other two Logos cards per se. Um, but you gain three Ember. For some reason, it has a bonus Ember and says gain two Ember. Um not really sure why they chose to do it that way, but okay. Yeah, I, uh, so you gain three Ember off this uh, for the low, low price of potentially delaying, you know, your turn to next turn. So like, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's just straight good. Uh, I, I mean, the, the one thing is, is there is a card in, in uh, shadows that we'll talk about later that does something very similar to this, but it ends your turn when you play it. Oh yeah. Uh, so that's a, that's a key bit to think about here is like granted. Yes. This could potentially end your turn. If you have no, if you only had two other uh, logos cards in your hand and no creatures on board, um, but you get them back the following turn. So yeah, it's not like it, the only time that's bad is if you are at the end of the game and you really desperately are like trying to catch up to your opponent and stop them. And then you play this card and it archives your only two answers and you have to stop them this turn. Yeah. But I mean, you probably shouldn't be playing this card in that situation. Yeah. This, <laughs> I, this card's great. Like three Amber, yeah. for, three Amber for the, the low cost of two cards from my hand. I mean, granted yep. I don't choose them, but still like that's solid. And you don't even lose the cards. No, you, you don't. You get them back. You get them back. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it's it's super good, super good. Um, so we'll move on to Fila the Researcher, a one-power creature. 
human scientist with elusive and after a creature is played adjacent to Fila the researcher draw a card um so she can draw you two cards depending on uh exactly when you get her if you get her with nothing else on the table if she's your turn one play that's pretty solid yeah you put a creature on her left put a creature on her right and bam you get two cards i, I, um, I want to say she's stronger than she is but in when it comes when push comes to shove she's still pretty average um yeah she's she's solid but she's average. she gets you two cards which like it, well she can potentially get you two cards uh but right. her floor is one because right. she's going to get played on a flank, you're going to play something else, you draw a card. And you know what? If stuff dies around her, you might get more? Well, here's the trick. Deploy. Or or deploy, right? That's also yep. a good point. Deploy is how you rack up. So you're, you're probably getting one card off of her because she has to go on a flank herself, which means that at some point, assuming she doesn't die first, you're going to put something next to her. Yep. Um, so you're she she at least replaces herself, and then from there it's potential upside. If you uh, like, maybe the creature that you deploy or you put next to her dies, and you put another creature next to her. Well, now you've got a second card out of it. That's pretty sweet. Maybe you have some deploy stuff in your deck, and you deploy something next to her, and then you deploy another thing next to her. I mean, you can rack up value. the The floor on this card is pro is one creature. Uh, I mean, one card. You draw one card to play one right. creature, um, and that's fine. A, a card like that's that's not amazing. But that's not bad, and she has a lot of upside potential. Yeah. Um, not enough to bump her above average, but you know she's she's not something you're unhappy to see in your deck. Right. Uh, so we'll move on to interdimensional graft. It is an action that gives you a bonus ember and says if an opponent forges a key on their next turn, they must give you their remaining ember. It's a reprint from Call of the Archons. Um, it is, I I don't like it. Um, I don't, this is not a, a power evaluation of it, but I never get this thing to go off. What always ends up happening is that I play it and I get like one ember because <laughs> my opponent is at like seven and just, or just parks themselves at seven. It is, uh, it's really annoying, um, to not really get a lot of value out of this thing. Yeah. It, it feels like a kind of new player trap card. Like you, you yeah, always get like, yeah, well, you just get, you just get that like real, like the times where you're going to get the real bang for your buck out of it is like when you're playing against somebody new and they, and they yeah. just maybe don't know any better. Or if you're playing against me, cause I am super greedy and I, uh, I love, I have a deck with the sting. And so I had a deck with the sting, binate rupture and interdimensional graft. So I, I did the, uh, the, the sting did the interdimensional graft to grab a bunch of their ember did binate rupture to like crazy go nuts with our ember and then i got hit with too much to protect so i was asking for it still still great i mean <laughs> I, I, I mean it I, again if we're talking like like fairly average is a do it does a thing and gets you an amber um it, it it's average because it gives you two like it, the time that you're going to play it it's going to give you two I, i'm gonna say average too uh, and the good thing about it too is it is a, a perfect perfect archive card and your opponent can't do anything about it. Nope. So, like, if they if they go up to nine, they can't stop you from dropping your interdimensional uh, interdimensional graft and getting that three extra ember. Yep. The downside is doesn't stop them from getting a key, but you do take all of their extra resources. So if they right. if they go way above and beyond on their key force, they're like, oh, you don't have a lot of steel in your deck, um, or you don't have houses that have a lot of steel or a lot of capture. Um, you know, you can really, really reap uh, dividends off this thing by yeah. going up against a greedy opponent. Um, I yeah. think that against a skilled opponent, you're only going to see maybe the bonus ember plus one, maybe two other ember off of it. Um, 
but three ember for one card is good, especially if it's, you know, if, if at that point it says, uh, it's kind of a too much to protect at that point. It's like a slow burning too much to protect where you take everything but six ember. Yeah, it, it what it really boils down to is it, it might thrive a little bit better. I mean, I still say it's average, um, but it might thrive a lot more in Age of Ascension because of how how less impactful stealing is in right. in the set so you're not gonna like you're gonna run into two birds protect you know i think we talked about that being reprinted in the set yeah um uh you know you're gonna run into that card but you're not gonna run into a bait and switch right, right. doesn't it's not in the set uh so people might be a little bit more willing to play around with how much amber they hold on to because you know that you know I played a bunch of games on Tuesday where an opponent just had four Amber at the end of their turn because my yep. deck, my deck just didn't have a way of dealing with it. And, and, you know, it was just like, well, two more Amber and I'm, I'm out. I lost like, yeah. and, and then like me now trying to figure out, manipulate ways of making sure that two Amber doesn't happen. You know, like interdimensional graft is a great tool, like in, in that sense. But until the kind of, until everyone starts to maybe unlearn their lessons, uh, of call the archons i think that interdimensional graft is still pretty pretty average right one thing to keep in mind when you are using your intervention the interdimensional graft uh, if you increase key costs uh, that will affect how much you get off of interdimensional yep. graft like let's say you um uh you have i don't know you it, key costs are increased by two ember so it costs eight to forge a key well if your opponent only has eight you get zero off your interdimensional graft you don't get you know ember that isn't there effectively uh so just bear in mind as you play key cheats or not key cheats but uh key cost increasers um that is going to reduce the uh efficacy of your interdimensional graft potentially you just got to remember to play around it um so we'll move on to the next one here jargoggle uh jargoggle i don't know however you want to say that it's a two power creature beast mutant uh with elusive and play put a card from your hand face down under jargoggle destroyed if it is your turn, play the card under Jargoggle, otherwise archive that card. So effectively, he comes into play, you sneak a card under him like he's a master plan. And then when he leaves play, when he gets destroyed rather, uh, you get to play that card, assuming it's your turn. If it's not your turn, you still get to keep the card, it just goes to your archive. Yeah, it, it's... Uh, I mean, it's it's a house cheat, really. Yep. Like, I, If you're playing a Logos card underneath him... Like I, I I don't foresee that being a good strategy. Uh, so you're you're playing something that's going to to net you uh, a benefit on your turn, um, you know, and and it's a gamble for your opponent to figure out, you know, is it worth me killing Jurgoggle on my turn so they have to archive that card, uh, you know, and well, you can plan around that. Like I I think personally, I think this card's pretty strong. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I'm on the fence. I think it might be towards average because there's no incentive to kill it. Your opponent, you drop it on the table and uh, your opponent's like, okay, well, I'm never going to kill that. I, I guess I guess the argument for killing it is that you then prevent. Uh, so if, if it's you and me playing against each other, Steve, and you drop your jar goggle on the table and you hide a card under it, I have to think to myself, well, if I if I kill it during my turn, it takes two creatures to do it because he's got elusive. Yep. Um, and that means that I archive your card. Uh, or, or I can wait until your turn and you swing with Jargoggle, kill one of my dudes, and then you get to play that card for free, um, which is 
potentially house cheating, depending on what you put under there. So it's a it's it's a tricky decision. Um, I don't know if I I don't if mm, so with most two power creatures, I rarely am thinking about running creatures into it. Like I generally can find two ways. I can find a way to to get rid of something on another person's turn on my turn. That's two power. Yeah. You know, the one thing I actually will say against it, which might be a good argument in favor of, of calling it average is that if you do try to, like it, it forces your opponent to go logos two turns in a row. If they need to get the immediate benefit of the card that they played underneath. Well, they could kill it some other way. Uh, yeah, that's true. I, I'm going to go s- I'm going to go strong on it. It's like a, a worst case scenario. The absolute worst thing on this. Um, well, the worst thing would be if they purge it, but you know, there's not a lot of purge floating around. So let's not worry about that. Uh, your worst case scenario is that you get to archive a card and you may or may not have access to, uh, to it on your following turn, yeah. but you do eventually get that card back again, assuming they don't purge it. So yeah, I mean, you could jar goggle bouncing death quirk into <laughs> something like, uh, like a silver key imp or something like that. Like, you know, yeah. it doesn't have to be an action. It could be anything. There's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of potential value to it. So I, I'm going to go up to strong. Yeah, I mean, it can it replaces itself at a certain point. Right, and it's potential for house cheating. So, yeah. like, you know, how crazy would it be to have that and a helper bot? Oh yeah, and like you said, bouncing death quark. So, like, you know, you have a helper bot hidden underneath the guy, and then you just go and fight your opponent's ember imp or something, and uh, kill your jargoggle. Uh, excuse me, gargoggle. Get the helper bot into play, and then you can house cheat anything you want. Yeah, it's yeah, it's good stuff. Um, so I think, I think I'm going strong on that one. Uh, so we'll go to the next card here. Memory chip is an artifact item that says after you choose logos as your active house, archive a card, it's a passive effect. So you do not need to activate it. Um, I was going to say, you don't even need to call logos, but yes, you actually actually do need to call logos. (laughs) Um, so is this strong? This is a great card that I forget about constantly. (laughs) Oh, you have it in play and forget about it? Yeah. Like, it's like, oh, I'm going to call Logos. And then I go about my turn and I'm like, oh, I meant to archive a card. Great. Um, yeah, I think it's fantastic because you, you call Logos and then you have, let's say you've got the classic terrible 2-2-2 hand, right? You call Logos, you archive one of those cards. That means you've got a way better chance of drawing out of that 2-2-2 split. Yep. I mean, it's a great first turn play. Uh, yep. it, it, you know, if, if you think about it, it is a fast library of the damned because you don't even have a choice really technically yeah um it's not like you may archive a card it's archive a card um it dodges poltergeist at least it dodges the activated part of poltergeist it'll still get blown up but at least they can't use it to their benefit yeah it's it's uh it's a strong card yeah absolutely totally totally worth uh you know yeah the spot in the deck um so we'll move on to quantum finger trap it is an artifact item Gives you a bonus ember when you play it, and it says, action, swap the positions of two creatures in a battle line. Normally, I would say uh, that it's awful, and I don't like it, and that's a stupid card. Age of Ascension has a lot of stuff, though, that cares about where it is in the battle line. So, if this were Call of the Archons, and Quantum Finger Trap was printed in Call of the Archons, I would be really, really irritated if this were in my deck. But, depending on the deck it's in... You can get a lot of value out of this, and depending on the deck your opponent is playing, you can get a lot of value out of this. Yeah, um, I was gonna say the 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 key point about this card is that it says a battle line. It's not your battle line or your opponent's battle line. It's just a battle line. Yep. So you can use it on your own battle line. You can use it on their battle line. Like you can get a ton of value out of it. Do I think it's strong? 
probably not. I, I'm I'm going to call it weak, but with an asterisk because in the right deck and against the right deck, um, even or against the right deck, as long as you've got one of those pieces, uh, it becomes miles better. But you are opening yourself up to the uh, you know the the risk. Like let's say somehow you have two decks that are identical, except one of them has Quantum Finger Trap and one of them doesn't. There will be a non-zero amount of games where the deck without Quantum Finger Trap will win, uh, where the Finger Trap deck will not. I think that actually, all things being equal, a non-Finger Trap deck is going to be the better deck. I feel like, especially in this set, there are too many things, like we kind of said already, that care about where it lives in the battle line. Right, but not not the, not the critical density to make this a strong card. I don't even think there's enough... Uh, positional matters cards for this to get bumped up into average uh, from the weak portion. But if you do get a bunch of them in your deck, so and that's on average, on average, there are not enough cards for this to make a huge difference. Um, there will be a couple, but not enough to really justify the card's existence in your deck. I think this card hurts. I, I think at most, if, if we want to think about like highest density of cards that this will affect is going to be Sanctum, given the amount of taunt that is printed in Sanctum this time around. Fair. I mean, just think about it. Think about the the situation in which you put... I, I can't remember if Bulwark's reprinted, but... It's not. Just imagine, or say, or, or in that situation, like imagine playing in a Call of the Archon, against a Call of the Archon's deck, and you just, put, you just put Bulwark on the end of the battle line every turn. Sure. But here's my thing. After after going through, we're almost at the end of the uncommons here. After all the commons and uncommons I've seen, I would rather have almost any of them over Quantum Finger Trap. It's that consistency and, and being able to count on Finger Trap doing anything that matters. Over the course of a tournament, you might have games where it is a game winner and you go up against someone that has a ton of positional matters cards. Um, but I think that that's not going to be your... your the... the uh, the higher number, the, the, the higher number is going to be games where that positional matters is not great. And then not only do they have to have positional matters cards, you have to get the finger trap in play and call logos while they have those positional matters cards. Now, if you have a deck with a lot of positional matters stuff in it, then a whole different story. But that's why the asterisk is there yeah. is because this card does have potential to be strong, but the majority of the time, the average Coda deck, the average AOA deck is not going to be super friendly to finger trap giving you enough value to justify its place in your deck one bonus number is not enough to include it in there i would have uh you know even just going through here i would rather have almost yeah like aside from titan mechanic i would have literally any other card in my deck over this hmm. uh maybe poke maybe not poke <laughs> maybe not poke maybe not titan mechanic yeah. but i'd have almost everything else in the deck I'm, over this i'm gonna stick with average but i i get your point yeah, so we'll move on to remote access. It is an action, gives you a bonus ember, and says use an opponent's artifact as if it were yours. It's a reprint uh, from Coda, and it is great. Yeah, I... Well, okay, I should say uh, there's enough artifacts for it to be useful, but it's similar to Quantum Finger Trap, because I don't want to sit here and... and you know, be hypocritical against my own opinion here. There is a there's a non-zero amount of times where remote access will give you a bonus ember and nothing else. Yeah. And, and the other thing that I, I was going to say about it is, like, there are just... Using my opponent's artifacts, like, is great. Because it, it does mean that they get it exhausted at the end of the, end of the turn. But it doesn't right. doesn't really deal with the problem. It really just puts a Band-Aid over it for a turn. Right. Um, 
I still think it's pretty average because generally when you're when that happens, it's going you're going to have the chance to to get a good benefit out of your opponent's artifact and deny that from them for a turn. I think that's pretty strong. And then on top of that, it's getting you an amber. Um, but I, I don't see it getting any higher than average. Like I, I, I think it's pretty good. It does kind of stink to have when you don't have your opponent doesn't have any artifacts at all. But again, you get an amber out of it. Like it's it's a card that you're gonna play for an amber and throw and and move on with your life. Like I, I that's not that's that's not nothing. So I'm gonna call it. I'm gonna call it. St- strong but on the lower end of strong and i can understand saying it's on the average or the upper end of average my argument for it is that uh and, and it's it's weird I'm, I'm trying to convince myself that quantum finger trap is still not a great card uh by the same logic that um remote access you play it you get a bonus ember if they don't have an artifact no big deal um obviously that's not great but you know what have yeah. you uh if they do have an artifact then you know it's great you can lash of broken dreams them with their own lash uh you can you know uh, do other things that I can't think of right now. <laughs> other, other, you could subtle maul your opponent. You know, it's there's a lot of upside to that, and I think that being able to use your opponent's artifact against them has enough potential upside to warrant it um, compared to something like finger trap. Or finger trap, the potential upside is you swap a couple people around. But look at it this way. There is another card that does this exact same thing, and it just has an extra clause on. It. Right, poltergeist, and that's a strong card. Right, I'm not saying that remote access is as strong. I'm saying that remote access is on the lower end of of strong. Is my take on it? All right. Uh, so I think uh, you're going to go average. average. I'm going to say strong. I could see an argument for being average, um, but I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and lock in strong for myself. Uh, so we'll move on to research Smoko, a two power creature mutant with destroyed archive the top card of your deck. It's fine. Okay. Imagine this being near Archimedes. Well, I mean, it just really becomes Hexpian at that point, but... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's fine. It's it's average. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it is... It is a much... Like, I would rather have the Zix Researcher over this, because I get I get it now, as opposed to whenever I decide to kill the stupid yeah. thing. Which I'm, I'm going to be heavily dissuaded from it, because I, it, Amber is more important than the, the archived card, and I can re- reap with this. So I'm not going to crack it into something for value you know it's it's no dust imp you know uh research smoko is a it's a reprint right yep. yeah it's yep. a reprint um research smoko is the exact same thing as hexbeon it's two power it's a creature uh and they both archive the top card of your deck when they're destroyed uh hexbeon is a common research smoko is an uncommon uh hexbeon also archives itself so yeah. it's a strictly better research smoko at a lower rarity yeah Again, I have three of them in a, in a deck. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, I have Xpion, I guess. Um, so we'll move on to Rocket Boots. Uh, Rocket Boots is an upgrade that says this creature gains, quote unquote, fight slash reap. If this is the first time this creature was used this turn, ready it. It's a reprint. It's good. Yep. Uh, it, you get double the value out of a creature for an upgrade card. It's fine. Yeah. I wish it did, wish it did give you an amber. That'd be nice, but... Right, because the downside is that you slap it on a creature, they immediately just nuke the creature. Well, the, the the benefit is, like, you're not playing this on a creature that you just played this turn. You're playing this on a creature that's been on the board already, so you get the value out of it now. So I guess that's probably why it's not printing an amber on it. That's only if you put it on a creature that's Logos. If you, since Rocket Boots itself is Logos, you put it on a Shadows creature, let's say, then they have a chance to nuke it. Right, that is true. Yep, 
but it's good. It's still good. It's still worth the risk. And you may even be able to bait your opponent into blowing up the wrong thing by putting it on something you actually don't care about removing, right. uh, just to bait out a removal card, and then you play the thing you actually care about the next turn or out of your archive. Um, so there's some counterplay involved in that. Too. Yep. Uh, so we'll move on to Seismo Entangler. It is an artifact item that says, action, choose a house. During your opponent's next turn, creatures of the chosen house cannot be used to reap. Uh, it's bonkers town good. Yeah, it's good. It's uh, anything that you can do to deny your opponent uh, Amber is going to be good. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it wreaks havoc with their turn because you call Logos, you use the Seismo Entangler, and you say, okay, well, I'm going to... It's like a, it's like a mini, mini Restringitus in a way, except it doesn't completely lock them out. It just says you can't gain Ember from creatures, you know, from this house. Um, so it's pretty great. Yeah. Uh, so we'll move on to Sloppy Lab Work. Uh, it is a action. Gives you a bonus ember and says, archive a card, discard a card. And the name obviously keys off of a lab work, which is the same thing, except you don't discard a card. Um, I feel like you're going to call average. I'm going to call strong. No, I'm actually going to call average uh, strong on this one. The reason why, and, and, so the reason why is this. If you think about it, there's two clauses here, which which kind of goes with the argument that you had for lab work being strong, is that I'm hand filtering, right? Right. I'm archiving a card, and I'm likely discarding a card I don't need, right? Yep. Which is house painting. Right. I'm getting two cards out of this card, you know, on my draw step. And then I get the third card my next turn if I so if I so decide. Yep. Like, so a potential to churn out three cards at the end of my turn or, or you know, three cards, you know, on my next turn. Well, you, yeah, uh, you that's three, pretty good to me. Yeah, you clear three cards out of your hand with this. Yeah. Like, that's pretty good to me. And you get a bonus ember. Um, yeah. yeah. So, oh, good. Well, we're on the same page there. Yeah. Like, again, it's, like, just another one of the reasons why, like, when I look at lab work, I'm just, like, whatever. Like, it's fine. Like, they're just better cards than it that do the same thing. That's fair. Uh, it, was, it is a reprint. I don't know if we mentioned that. It is a reprint, yeah. So we'll move on to the first rare that we're going over here. It is Redacted. Um, and I know that you're thinking, well, wait a minute, everything's alphabetical, so why would redacted be at the top of the rares? It's because it has the little brackets, uh, which I guess it counts punctuation, at least on this site, as um, being uh, alphabetically first. So <laughs> redacted is an artifact. Um, the type of this artifact is redacted. Uh, and it says, after you choose Logos as your active house, place one ember from the common supply on redacted. When there are four or more Ember on Redacted, sacrifice it and forge a key at no cost. So this breaks down uh, to you have to call Logos five times and then you get a, a free key on that fifth time you call Logos. Because you have to call it once to put Redacted into play. And then you have to call it four more times to get your key. I don't feel like this is good. We talked a lot about this card at... Uh, the ball tour. We, you're right. We did. We talked. Uh, we talked a bit about this. Um, my argument against it is that you have to call logos five times. So that means that it needs to be. So so whenever you get it during the game, if you get it early, it's fine. Like you're fine. You can call it. You can use it. That's not a big deal. Uh, it, it becomes average at that point. Um, you know, maybe even then, like it's it's it maybe maybe strong. If you get this as a turn one play, then maybe that's pretty strong. Uh, it's also going to be dependent upon how many times you call logos in that game. Maybe your logos house is just not very good, and you don't want to call it very often. Uh, it's not one of your main houses. It's more of a support or a utility house um, that you're not going to be calling that often. So, 
that's very situational. So the, the times where this is good is if you have a deck where you have Logos that wants to be called multiple times and you get redacted early enough in the game for it to matter. The more turns that go by, the worse redacted gets. Um, yeah. There's no way to put extra Ember on it. There's no way to cheat that effect to go faster. So if you get this, if you're at two keys and your opponent's at two keys and they're at five Ember uh, and you're looking for outs, uh, you know, to try to close this game out, you do not want to see redacted. You want to get sloppy lab work and discard this thing. Yep. The uh, so the, I I put it I put it borderline weak to average because it does eventually get you a key if you get that kind of magic Christmas land sort of scenario where you get it early enough and you do have a good logo stack. But I, I feel like if you take consistency into account, then it can't be a strong card because it's just too inconsistent for it to pull off. It's a cool fun card, but the first thing I thought of when we started talking about it just now, is like, I thought about that Hexpian deck that I have and this card actually would probably do pretty well in that deck just given the number of times like I'll have a turn where Logos will get me something. That's a great example of a deck that wants to call Logos. I, I've played against your deck, and I, th- I think at one point you had like half your deck archived. It was ridiculous. But yeah. the, the you were calling Logos all the time, and that would have been great for, for Redacted, especially because archiving all those cards means you're churning through your deck faster, so you can get to Redacted right. faster. So in, in that situation, it is 100% a strong card. Like You could theoretically have crafted like two keys off this thing the way that you were calling logos in that game that's fair i still wouldn't even give it like even in that dex like situation i still wouldn't give it strong like it's still pretty underwhelming like i i'm i'm on the the weak train on this one and you know it i this feels like it is the key of darkness of this set (laughs) (laughs) that's fair which which key of darkness is in the set so you know it's not saying a lot. No. Um, so I think I think we're both landing on the. Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty weak. Yeah. All right. Well, moving on to the next card here, Chaos Portal is an artifact location that says action. Choose a house. Reveal the top card of your deck. If it is of that house, play it. If it is of that house, play it. So you don't have a choice. You have to play it if you call it. Uh it's so it's like. It's like a wild wormhole that you can play every turn, but has a chance to yep. fizzle. Uh, and we already called wild wormhole weak, so I don't think this is any better. <laughs> like you're, if you're, so the arguments against wild wormhole still apply here. So it has all the same arguments against it, except there's a sixty-six ish. I mean, obviously you don't know, like sixty-six ish, two two out of three chance that you'll call the wrong house and nothing will happen. So, and that's your best case I mean, scenario. Is nothing gets thinner happens. And you've known, like, I mean, if you're paying attention to what you've played, uh, it gets a lot more likely. Right, your chances go up and down, uh, or your chances go up because uh, if you if you know you've played all your your you played all twelve Brobnar cards in your deck, you know that you're not going to call Brobnar. Right. Um, right. Does that make it any better? No, not not to me. No, I was gonna. It may be, it may be a teeny tiny bit better than a wild wormhole. Uh, actually, you know what? I'd even say they're equal because at least wild wormhole yeah. gives you a bonus ember. Um, but Chaos Portal, you're right, though. As you as you get to the bottom of your deck and you can figure out, like, okay, I've played everything except my XYZ card, then I know 
uh, that's the one I want to call or not call specifically yep. just to avoid it. But I mean, it's not like, so if this, if this discarded the top card, so if it said, choose a house, reveal the top card of your deck, if it is of that house, play it, otherwise discard it. Yep. Totally Agreed. different story. Like that actually would be a, a solid card. Um, it would be at least average and potentially good since it would, it would be yep. getting rid of cards off your deck and get you through them faster. But as it yep. stands, definitely a weak card. Uh, so we will move on to Crazy Killing Machine. It's an artifact weapon uh, that says action. There's a mouthful here. Action. Discard the top card of each player's deck for each of those cards. Destroy a creature or artifact of that card's house if able. If two cards are not destroyed as a result of this, destroy Crazy Killing Machine. So let's break this down. We've got Discard the top card of each player's deck. So Steve and I flip over the top cards of our deck. Uh, Steve, you get Dis. Uh, I flip over the top card of my house, and it's Brobnar, okay? Now, for each of those cards, we destroy a creature or artifact, okay? So we're going to be, each of us are going to be destroying a creature or artifact of that card's house, if able. Okay, so you flipped over a discard. I flipped over a Brobnar card. That means I have to destroy a Brobnar card on the table. You have to discard a uh, destroy a discard on the table. Uh, only creatures and artifacts, so I guess upgrades are safe. Um, if you can, which I feel like doesn't need to be said, because if you can't, you just don't do it. But sure. <laughs> so, Steve, you have a deck with Dis in it. I have a deck with Brobnar. Those are the two cards we flipped. Um, seems pretty obvious that we're going to be blowing yeah. up our own things with the potential that if i'm playing against someone that has Brobner, i get to blow up one of their things yeah instead. i i don't like this card oh, and then no the last step of the card if you fail to blow up something or i fail to blow up something like i have no Brobner cards in play you have no Brobner cards in play or vice versa with this then you also destroy crazy killing machine so that's right folks if you did manage to blow up two things with the crazy killing machine you can do it again later yeah um this is an awful card it's yeah. hilarious it's great the art is hilarious i love everything about this card except playing it yeah it should really just say don't ever play um it, it it's it's bouncing death cork it's bouncing death cork but way worse yeah yeah, it, I'm not a fan of this card. Um, yeah, no, it's it's not good, but it's hilarious. Uh, so we'll move on to Dasania. Dasania is a creature mutant with four power that says play. Your opponent discards each of their archived cards. You gain one ember for each card discarded this way. Brutal if your opponent has archived cards. Yeah, like potentially three Hexpians in a deck. So... I want to say so. What's our what's our worst case scenario? So how so obviously, if your opponent has a deck with a lot of the with the ability to archive a lot of their cards, um, then it's this is just a straight up strong card. Um, yeah. Our floor here is that let's say your opponent has zero ability to archive cards, um, and you have no fancy way of making them do so either. It's a four power dud. Uh, it's a four power creature. Right, which would be which would be weak. We would call that weak if it was just like four power, yeah. do nothing. Like we'd call that weak. And then we'd call it strong. Like if it was just you gain a bunch of ember every time, you know, you can you can pull off its effect. So where do we land there? Do we call that a weak with an asterisk? Um, I think there's, you know what? I think there's enough archiving in Age of Ascension to call this strong with an asterisk. I think more likely you will be able to get value out of this card 
then you will not be able to get value out of this card. Yeah. Unlike Call of the Archons. Call of the Archons, this would have been a weak card with occasional upside. I think this uh, this set, it's generally going to be a good card with occasional downside of not being able to use it effectively. Yeah. And if it it would be it would be a different story too if it didn't make them discard if it just said you gain ember for the 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 amount of cards in their archive but it also strips their archive and that's huge. Yeah, I mean it's 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 being safe about my my uh, evaluation here. It's pretty average given that you know there are going to be a lot of situations where it, it just just ends up being a four power creature. But I also feel like there there are equally a number of situations where you're pulling, you know. At least right. two cards. Like, if you're archiving a card, unless you're not uh, archiving off the top, which is fine. But, like, if you're archiving a card from your hand, you're archiving something that's important to you, right? This is going to potentially get rid of that gateway of disc that somebody just threw, or the key to disc that somebody just archived, or, you know, bouncing, they're bouncing Death Quark or something like that, and gets you an amber for getting it. So I'm going to stick with average, but... I think it's average, not in terms of power. I think it's average because of its consistency. Yeah. I think it's strong based on its power, but its consistency is what drops it back down. Because, I mean, if you look at it, like, let's say it's uh, – even if it was just a creature that said four power, gain one ember when you play it. Like, that's that's average. Yep. Um, four power, gain two ember when you play it. And this isn't even taking into account throwing out their archive. Uh, four power, gain two ember, That's that's – top end of average bordering on strong and then you start adding in the archive thing and you're over the moon about this thing so yeah i I think it's it's only average because of its consistency so bear that in mind when you see this card is is pay attention to what your opponent has if you're looking at if you're playing archive uh, archon you get a chance to look at their archon card and you have a dasania in your own deck take a look at what you know what they've got for archiving abilities in their own deck because you could you could really make out like a bandit with this thing uh, so let's move on to Entropic Swirl. It is an action that says choose a creature. For each trait that creature has, deal it two damage and gain one ember. So, Steve, what's a trait? So that's usually the little subtext underneath uh, creatures. So uh, in, if we go to like the director of Zix, uh, he's a cyborg scientist. Um, so, so what would Entropic Swirl do to... Uh, the director. So of in Tropic Swirl, because he has two traits, uh, it would do four damage to him, and you would gain two amber. I like it. Um, so how how uh, how likely is it that you're going to get something out of this card? I think uh, a lot of cards in this game have more than one trait. I will do you one better. Every card in this game has at least one trait. Every, at least one trait. So it is it is right. netting you one amber and ma- and getting rid of something that potentially is power to or dealing two damage to something so our worst case scenario on this is uh gain one ember deal two damage to target creature right yeah that's that's fine that's better than poke it's better than poke (laughs) and then it has the upside of uh you know potentially doing four damage and getting two ember and you know that's just gravy there uh i did i have looked through all of the cards in age of ascension and they all have at least one trait every creature i should say has at least one trait because you're not doing two damage to something that's not a creature um so you're gonna be minimum two damage one ember off this card so uh, i feel like two damage one ember is i'd put that at average if you're looking at if you're looking at just creatures in this house and in logos uh there are 
way fewer creatures that have one keyword than there are creatures with two. Uh, I will tell you that when you go up to Brobnar, however, everything is a giant and they don't have a second job. Yeah, well, maybe they, their Brobnar economy, yeah, their Brobnar community really needs to up their game. Right. But then you go to Shadows and it, like everything is an elf thief. Yeah. So it's it's kind of, uh, it's, it's going to be a mixed bag. So on average... I think it's it's I'm going to call it average, but it's uh, it's the top end of average because I think that typically you'll net four damage to Ember yeah. off this thing, typically. But there will be situations where you can't um, look at Dasanya. Dasanya was uh, a four power, but only one trait. Yep. So you're only taking half its life out, which is still fine. Right. But, um, you know, that's that's what's keeping it from being strong. Right. Uh, so we'll move on to fetch drones. It's an artifact item. Uh, and the reason we mentioned item, that's a trait. Uh, not that it matters for a Tropic Swirl, but hey, you never know. Uh, so Fetch Drone is an artifact item that says action. Discard the top two cards of your deck. For each Logos card discarded this way, a friendly creature captures two. So discard the top two cards of your deck. Cool. For each Logos card discarded this way, a friendly creature captures two. All right. Well, it doesn't require it to be a Logos friendly creature. So as long as you have any other creature on the table, so that's good. Um, you discard the top two cards of your deck. Uh, so you've got a one in three ish chance of hitting a Logos card, but you're discarding two cards. That kind of changes the odds. And I'm not going to do the math. Someone else out there can do the math and um, I'll retweet it. <laughs> but uh, that's that's pretty good odds of capturing at least two Ember off this thing with a potential upside. So let's say, let's say more likely than not, you're going to capture two Ember off this thing. So a card that captures... Oh, sorry, this is an artifact yeah. too. I was thinking of this as an action. No, an this is an artifact that you could potentially, every time you call Logos, you could be capturing two. That's that's pretty good. Is that is that good enough to be strong or is that like just really top-end average? So... Here's my thing I find with Keyforge for me, uh, and we've talked about this in the past with uh, other houses, is that I will always prefer to discard from my hand than from my deck. Um, and I do understand the the idea of you see more cards. That's fine. Yeah. But my issue with that is that since my only resource is calling a house, nine times out of ten, if I, especially if I'm always using fetch drones, there's a high chance that I'm throwing things away that I need uh, and that I need to advance myself. So at what point is this, what point is the upside of this card actually more detrimental to my long-term plans in the game, which that is the, always the thing that holds me up with this, with these types of cards is like, if I'm discarding two off the top of my deck, like if it was like archives, two cards off the top of my deck, this would be a totally different story. Or if this card was even archive one card and discard another card, the, the, they that changes things for me but tossing two cards in the trash for the chance to capture two amber i'm not totally excited about i will still call it average because i can still do it over and over and over again and eventually i right. will get through my deck to uh to to you know reshuffle and get access to all mm -hmm. my cards again um but there's that there's also going to be a certain point with this card where this card doesn't work anymore and, and all it's doing is discarding two cards. So here's the trap to this card. So this is something to be aware of. If you've got a fetch drones and you're trying to figure out if it's good or not in your deck, the more you use fetch drones, the less you can use fetch drones because you have to call logos to use the fetch drone. If you're calling logos, you are playing logos cards. If you're playing logos cards, there are less logos cards in your deck. So 
bear that in mind that it, it does have kind of diminishing returns as you go. I mean, the, the good thing too is it's unless your opponent's playing Logos, they're probably they're not going to do something like play remote access or something else like <laughs> that on this because they're just going to throw two cards in the discard pile. Right. You know, like you want you want cards in your hand slash archive. You really don't want them in the discard pile. Um, unless you're discarding them from your hand because you're making that active choice to get rid of them. Um, I'm I'm not someone who minds discarding. I like getting through my deck. I value those strategies. So I'm 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 a little at odds with your thinking there. But uh, I think that you're probably on the lower end of average for this, whereas I'm on the higher end yeah, of average. It, but it is it's, average. it's still average. Yeah. Um. So we'll go to Harland Mindlock. He is a creature cyborg scientist with one power. So great poke, great poke target yeah. here, folks. We found the one card in Logos that's actually uh, pokeable. He says, play, take control of an enemy flank creature until Harland Mindlock leaves play. Um, I straight up strong on yeah, this. Yeah, this card sucks. I hate it. <laughs> it is, uh, it's a great gotcha. So a worst case scenario, right? You take their creature and they can't use it during their turn until they, they get rid of Harland Mindlock. So Worst case scenario, it's annoying. They have to either waste one of their attacks on Harland or waste a removal card on Harland to get their creature back. Um, best case scenario, they can't do that. Maybe you put Harland next to a Shadow Self. Maybe you put him next to a Taunter. Uh, and now you've took, taken their creature and you can start using it. Um, a couple little side notes to how Harland works. When you take their creature, if it was exhausted, it comes on your side exhausted. Yes. Uh, it does not come into play so it will not trigger play abilities it's not leaving play and coming back it's just walking over to your side of the red rover red rover you know field right if uh so another thing it does say flank creature so uh, i've had other times where i'm like oh i'm gonna take your taunter just kidding they're in the middle of your battle line and i have to pick something else <laughs> yep so you just just remember those couple things. And he dies to a stiff breeze. Yep. He's got no elusive. He's got no defensive abilities. But that's fair. If he had elusive or something, holy crap, would that be obnoxious? Um, but I'm, I mean, straight up strong on that. What are you thinking? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a pain in the ass of a card. Like it, I, I do not, I am not a fan of Harlan Mindlock. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, it's a great. It, yeah, it's strong. Yep. Uh, so our next card up here is actually a twofer. Yep. Similar uh, with what we did with uh, the Brabnar cards, whose name eludes me at the moment. Um, we're going to review two cards at, well, not at once, but two cards in a row here. It was Grump it's War Grumpus and Grumpus Tamer. Thank you. Um, we are going to be going with Help from Future Self. It is an action. It gives you a bonus ember and says, search your deck and discard pile for a time traveler, reveal it, and put it into your hand. Shuffle your discard pile into your deck. Um, and then Time Traveler is a two power creature it gives you it's a human scientist gives you a bonus ember and says play draw two cards action shuffle time traveler into your deck so help from future self gives you a bonus ember it lets you reshuffle everything if you have a time traveler uh well you do have a time traveler because these always get printed together so you can search your deck and discard pile for that time traveler and put it in your hand so when you combine these two cards you get one card that says gain two ember draw two cards shuffle your deck and discard pile together that's pretty pretty bonkers and you get a creature out of it this card's still strong uh so we we don't need to get into this card a whole lot like i think we everyone everyone knows how strong this is yeah it's fantastic. here's the one thing i'm going to tell you right now zix researcher 
Play your help from future self. Grab your time traveler. Play Zix Researcher. Archive the top card of your discard pile. Because the only card that's going to be in your discard pile at the end of playing help from future self is going to, I mean, time traveler, is going to be help from future self. Correct, because it shuffles everything and then it puts itself into the discard pile. So at the end of the uh, at the end of all of this, you'll be left with a fully shuffled deck and a single card in your discard pile, which will be help from future self. So then you Zix Researcher your card back into your archive and you now perpetually have your help from future self whenever you need it pretty great i like that i'm gonna i'm gonna want that combo (laughs) that's a pretty good combo yeah uh so we'll move on to knowledge is power an action that says choose one archive a card or for each archived card you have gain one ember uh this is a reprint as well why is this card not in my my other deck i know right so i think that in coda i had a couple decks with this card in it and it was mediocre at best like it was it was strictly average um and there wasn't a lot of archiving in coda the same way there is in age of ascension i think age of ascension here this card is much much stronger it's possibly bad because it depends on deck uh composition but on average there's way more archiving um and worst case scenario it archives a card Yep, pretty much. I'm thinking strong on this thing. Yeah, I mean, it archives a card on its own. I mean, you could turn it around. It's very slow one amber, which is kind of a bummer. But given given this this set, you're probably going to have more chances of having, you know, getting two to three amber out of this card than you would just one. Right. So, yeah, definitely, definitely a strong card in this particular set. Um, so we'll move on to the next one master the theory it is an action it gives you a bonus ember and says if there are no friendly creatures in play you may archive a card for each enemy creature uh huh that's a big ask no friendly creatures in play yeah at a minimum it's an amber yep um but it's ceiling is a one-sided board wipe yeah i don't um i'm not wild about this one yeah you, I mean, the odds of not having a single friendly creature in play, like that, that is rare. Like this has to be in your opening hand. Um, and then, and then, not only do you have to not have creatures in play, your opponent needs to have at least one creature in play for yeah. this to matter. Yeah, it's pretty weak. And then on top of that, it's not really even a board wipe. It goes to their archive. Um, this doesn't do anything to their side. It's not a board wipe at all. This archives a card from your hand for each enemy creature. Oh yeah, I see what you're saying. I apologize. I misread that. Yeah, no, this is. Yeah, it's. This I, mean, is I call it weak. There's there's a niche situations in which it will be good, but I mean, it's you have to have no creatures. They have to have at least one, which is not you know that's not a big ask. They probably will, except for the fact that situations that put you with only with zero creatures in play typically put them at zero creatures in play. Um, so you're only really looking at this after something like a coward's end or a key to disc or something that is pseudo one-sided board wiping. Right. I mean, granted it doesn't have alpha, so uh, you can have a board wipe go off um, that leaves you with just one or two creatures. You fight those creatures into your opponent's creatures and your reward is archiving a few cards. Right. So yeah. not wild. Yeah, I'm not. It, it, yeah pretty weak yeah uh so we'll move on to the next card here neutron shark uh it is a creature beast mutant that has one power so here's your other poke target uh and it has play slash fight slash reap destroy an enemy creature or artifact and a friendly creature or artifact so kind of like bouncing death Quar. then discard the top card of your deck if that card is not a logos card 
trigger this effect again. So the effect is mandatory. You have to destroy an enemy creature or artifact, and you have to destroy a friendly creature or artifact until either there are none left or uh, the card that you flip over is Logos. Um, so it's like a combination of bouncing Death Quark and killing Crazy Killing Machine. The card is hilarious. I don't know if it's good. Uh, at least it stops itself because you can always choose to blow up Neutron Shark as the thing you blow up, and that will stop the the loop there. Yeah, that's why I actually wanted to say it's pretty it's it's average. Um, yeah. Because I mean, there's a lot more artifact hate in this set, which is good. Um, but this just kind of brings more artifact hate. So you could blow up their, you know, their Lash of Broken Dreams and kill the Neutron Shark on the first playthrough, and you've removed that card. Yep. I would say it's average. Yeah. You know, because you can stop it. You choose when it ends, uh, in theory, because uh, you can just kill itself. But if you want to keep playing the gamble, like, you go for it. Like I'm going to say, I'm going to say strong. I, no, it's not strong, unfortunately. You, like, so you always, you always do the flip. You always discard the yeah. top card. I was thinking of it as just it happens if you, if you blow up the neutron shark that stops it. But yeah, so that's important to remember. You play the neutron shark, you destroy your enemy's thing, and then you blow up the Neutron Shark, and you say, ha-ha, free value. Well, just wait a minute. You still discard the top card and repeat the effect. So you need to have at least one other thing besides the Neutron Shark that you're willing to get rid of uh, in order to get to, to not have this backfire in your face. Right. It is your choice, which is good, because at least you get to control what you lose. Um, so I think I, I feel like that's still pretty good. I think it's maybe not strong, but I think it's at the upper end of average because you're blowing up two of your things for two of their things, but it's your two worst of your things for two of their things. And it's not guaranteed to be two. Obviously you flip the card and you see what you get, but potentially you're blowing up their two best things and your two worst things. Right. That's, I don't know. I, I'm going to say strong on this. I got to go strong on that. Cause that's a, that's a huge effect right there. I don't mind losing two of my things to get rid of their two nastiest things on the table. That's that just screams value to me because I have I have crappy cards all the time. That's just how my decks work. <laughs> yeah, I it, it's still it's still too too chaotic for me. Yeah, it's, it's like yeah. If, we're, if we're going on the, the 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 wild wormhole. That's fair. It's still just not not a perfect sell. Yeah, I, I get I get where you're coming from. So we'll go to Osmo Martianologist. That's Osmo who is a Martianologist, yes. not a Martianologist from Osmo. Right. The, he is a creature, human scientist, with elusive, sorry, two power, elusive, uh, and fight slash reap, heal three damage from a Mars creature, or stun a Mars creature. Has to involve Mars. Yeah, it's weak. It's, it's a weak card. It's too situational. Absolutely. Your, your worst case scenario, it's a two power creature. Done. Full stop. And this is your rare too, so it's, you don't even get something you know better yeah. than that. Your best case scenario, you have Mars in your house, uh, in, in your deck rather. You have Mars in your deck, and you can heal three from it. Or your opponent has Mars in their deck, and you can stun their Mars creatures when he reaps. And that's that's fine, but not worth the downside of there not being any Mars at all. Uh, and then best case scenario, best best case scenario is you have Mars and they have Mars and now you have more options, but that's still un really underwhelming. <laughs> yep. I'd rather have something a little more consistent than that. Um, and stunning a creature is not even, even if it's every time you reap, which it's every time you reap after calling logos. If this was Omni, maybe, maybe you might have. Yeah. Cause at least then you're reaping every turn, even if you're not getting the effect, but as it stands, it's, it's weak 
except in the rare situation where you know your opponent has mars and or you have mars yeah and then it's okay and then it's okay yeah it's fine at that point it's average at that point which is not great um so we'll move on to pocket universe here it's an artifact item that says you may spend ember on pocket universe when forging keys and that means that you can spend ember that's been placed on pocket universe when forging keys because it has the action move one ember from your pool to pocket universe i i would say that in call of the archons this and its uh, sister card uh, hidden stash were pretty good not hidden stash I, I, hidden stash archives a card oh, you're i right, know what you're, you're right. talking um, about though there's a shadows one that does a similar space, type of right thing. yep safe space yep. Safe space. uh sorry um, but uh, given given the the amount of hate in uh, in how artifacts in Amber work, um, I, I'm going to put this card at average because it, it feels too much too detrimental now comparatively than it did in in uh, Call, uh, Call of the Archons. Um, I especially now too that stealing is not as prevalent as it was, or at least stealing in huge swaths. I, f- I feel like it makes it even better because that means that people rely on that steel to control you more and pocket universe is even better because it, it, like having having putting one of your ember on pocket universe is kind of a drop in the bucket when they've got bait and switch available to them. Right. Putting one ember on your pocket universe when they have to rely on effects uh, like cutthroat whatever it was yeah, cutthroat cut research. research so that means that you don't ever have to go up to eight you can just keep putting it on your pocket universe and it. it Kills that card. I think the pocket universe is better in the set because there is less stealing. So the stealing they do have has to be more impactful. Um, I don't think that puts it into strong, but I do think it's it's better in this set than it was in Coda. And it was it was pretty solid in Coda. Yeah, I mean they both both those cards were, but I I don't think that I I, I would say this is average. It's still yeah, I say it's average, but I, I put it towards the top end of average. It's 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 a solid workhorse kind of card. Yeah. Uh, so we will go to Project Zix. It is a creature cyborg mutant with five power and one armor. It says fight slash reap. You may play one of your archived cards as if it were in your hand and in the active house. <sighs> Obviously synergizes well with the other Zix cards. Yeah. Um, and in a house with, with so much archiving going on in this house, um, this seems really good especially with the top deck top deck archives you know things like that like you're almost guaranteed a house cheat out of it and it's only it's not like play all of them it's just play one so you choose what's in there yep it's not random yeah the issue is the issue is is keeping it alive long enough but it's got five power one armor that's it's not going away quick it's hard to get rid of but man like i sat across the table from somebody with bromdar i put project six down and they just cracked a lot up into it every time well, of course, but I mean, <laughs> it still doesn't make it good. It no, 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 I know. It, it's a strong card. It's just like yeah. the fight reap aspect of it just makes you have to defend it in some capacity. And, and right. there are ways of getting rid of it, you know, before you get a chance to use it, granted. But that's that's the same with half the cards, though. True. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if it was a playability, it would be all-star status, no problem. Yeah. But with the fight yeah. reap, it's, it's a little more fair, I think, yeah. honestly. Uh, it would be it would be pretty brutal to go up. I, I think it would still be a fine card if it said play, like in terms of balance. Yeah. Um, but the the fight reap does knock it down a peg. Yeah. Um, not it doesn't knock it out of strong. No, but it's it does. still pretty strong. <laughs> right. It's house cheating. Uh, still house exactly. cheating. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and it's repeatable house cheating, which is great. Yeah. So uh, we'll move on to replicator. It is a creature mutant. Uh, it's got two power and says reap. 
trigger the reap effect of another creature in play as if you controlled that creature that creature does not exhaust so it doesn't deprive if you because so you can target an opponent's creature with this ability well not target but you know you can choose one of their creatures with this ability but it does not exhaust that creature so they will not lose access to that creature but you get the benefit so if your opponent has a project zix on their side of the table you could do use replicator to copy that effect and play a card out of your archive or you have two pro- you now have two project sixes or you're not doing yeah exactly i will still say this card is still on this card i would have called weak back in call of the archons because there was just no way to keep it alive like it would hit the table and die like at least that was my experience with every time i ever played a replicator yeah i think the the reap effects in this set are a lot more interesting and have a lot more value keeping it alive is a little bit easier i think it's still pretty average. I don't think it really bumps it up to strong uh, because it doesn't have a way of defending itself. If it had elusive, I feel like that would bring it to strong, but two power on its own. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I, I, I'm on the fence. I think it's, it's at least average. I could potentially see it going up into strong. There's too many cards. Like there's just still too many incidental two damage out there that exists to, for me to feel comfortable with it, with it being on the table and, yeah. and getting That's all fair. the way around to my side again like you think it dies to like even in like coda like terms it dies to nerve blast it dies to poison wave it dies to a lot of stuff right now important to note in tropic swirl this only has one trait but yeah that's also enough to kill it yeah it's enough to kill it <laughs> yeah um, oh, it should. I should say uh, one thing looping back to Entropic Scroll that just made me think. It doesn't matter how much power they have, you still gain as much Ember as you would. So, right. like, for example, Harlan Mindlock uh, is a cyborg scientist, so he has two traits, which means Entropic Scroll will do four to him. You still gain two Ember, even though it blows him away. Um, so, just something to note that, you know, you can overkill and still get a ton of Ember off it. Yep. Um, I don't think there's anything that has three traits. So, I think you're pretty much four and two is your maximum there. Yeah. So we'll move on to Scientifical Hack. It is an artifact location that says Omni. Uh, sorry, it gives you a bonus ember. And it says Omni, sacrifice Scientifical Hack. For the remainder of your... Uh, for, yeah, for the remainder of the turn, you may use friendly artifacts as if they belong to the active house. So this card synergizes ridiculously well with uh, the next card we're going to talk about, but we'll get to that when we get there. I still think this is pretty good. Like you, you can you know really turn a game around with something like Lash of Broken Dreams uh, and right. having Scientific Hack and Sacrifice. I think, I think the only question is, is it strong or super strong? And it's pretty strong. It's just regular. <laughs> That's all I can yeah. do. Uh, it does sacrifice itself. If this were just an action, that oh, would be God, be, but that would be broken. That would, that would yeah, yeah, that would be disgusting. Um, so we'll move on to Shard of Knowledge. Uh, it is an artifact item shard. It has action. Draw a card for each friendly shard. So shards are a cycle. There's one for every house. Um, from what I understand, you can have a deck with multiple shards of the same house. Is that? Am I crazy? I have not seen that, or I'm not aware of that. But uh, I have seen a deck played last week that had three shards, one from each house. Okay, so you can definitely get that. I guess the verdict is still out as to whether or not you can have multiple shards from the same house. Yeah, if someone there. knows, feel free to let us know. I'm curious. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think? Draw a card for each friendly shard. So your your floor here is that it's action draw card. So it's a library of Babel at the minimum. Yep. Um, which we which said, good. what did we say for library it's of Babel? Average. We said it was average, yeah. Um, so is this better than library of Babel? 
I don't think so unless you have multiple shards. Yeah. And not only do you have to have the shards in your deck, we talked about this with the Brobnar card to a degree. Um, not only do you have to have additional shards in your deck, you have to get them out into play. So this is just a library of Babel unless you have one in your deck and you get it out. Then it's a two libraries of Babel. <laughs> it's a super library. Yeah, I think these cards are... I I, I I don't know, like, w w at least, I think in the terms of the shards as a whole, this is probably the weakest one. Uh, well, no, I think the one that deals damage per... Yeah, the problem that one is... That yeah. one's probably the weakest one. But this one's probably close second to being the weakest one. Um, yeah, but it's but fine. It's fine. It's, it's well, a... the Brobnar one is totally fine, too, for me. Like, I I think that card's fine. and if, I can't remember what I rated it, but... Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. It dealt damage. I was yeah. thinking it boosted power. No, no. Yeah, it deals damage. Like, that, that... I mean, at a certain point, like, one repeatable damage is fine. Like, it, yeah. it's not like poke where I get to do it once. You know, like drawing a card, you know, Library of Babel, especially if you have a shard of knowledge and a Library of Babel, that's two cards. Like, you know, and if you have three shards and a Library of Babel, that's four cards. But anyway, like, uh, I think it's still, it's it's average. I'm not wild about this one. There, there are others that I'm like, what about? But a little more wild about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's completely fair. I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat. It's, um, it's a fine card, but it's not anything incredible so well, let's move on to our next card here is strange gizmo strange gizmo is an artifact item uh gives you a bonus emperor and says after you forge a key destroy each creature and artifact uh it's symmetrical so it does hit everything yours and theirs um and i think the flavor text here is spot on it says why did we make this again yeah um this card's bad will always be bad yeah i'm not i'm not wild about it either i think I've, I've had situations where i've just gotten it at the end of the game when i've like when, I've, when i'm on my third key and i'm like sure i'll play this for a free bonus ember that's fine yeah um but it's yeah it's kind of a waste it's hilarious yeah. i love the card but it is not a good card yeah like you said the flavor text uh definitely does a good job does, yeah. does a good job of explaining <laughs> what it does Exactly. Uh, so we will move on to the next card here, the Curator. Not just a Curator, the Curator. Uh, it's a creature, human scientist, three power, friendly artifacts, enter play ready. So it's speed sigil, but only for you and only for artifacts. Um, this card is fan-freaking-tastic. Yeah, if speed sigil's good, this is ridiculously good. No, this yeah. is like... like Friendly, like, because a lot of times the thing with artifacts is you want to kind of use that effect. Like, it's actually one of the reasons why maybe so many people play artifacts thinking that they're, they're you know, play play effects or action cards. Um, is that you want that effect when you play that artifact right away. So if you have a speed sigil for artifacts, oh man, like that's insanity. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, obviously, it's going to depend on your deck. What do you have for artifacts? It would be really ironic to get a curator and then not a single artifact. Yeah, that would be kind of hilarious. If you have that deck, let us know. Uh, I will send you a deck as uh, recompense for your horrible, horrible luck. Um, yeah. And that deck will also have a curator with an artifact. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, it's it's fantastic. Like, there's, I mean, there is the downside. Like I said, if you have just a low amount of artifacts or you have artifacts that just have passive effects like Strange Gizmo, uh, then obviously that takes away from your curator. Yeah. Um, 
but it, there's just so much potential upside for this. And there's so many artifacts that do have actions uh, across all the houses that you're, it, it's going to be weird to have a deck that can't get some kind of value out of this. The fact that it's not symmetrical is huge yeah. too. Usually you see these effects and they affect both people, but this one is just straight up your stuff. It turns key to dis into gateway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, it's um, and it doesn't even have to. Uh, it doesn't even have to be a game. You can just put it down and be like, "Do I want to use it this turn?" No, yeah. and then you still have it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's good stuff. Good stuff. Um, actually, no, I'm sorry, Steve. You, well, I guess you have if you have the curator down, and then the next turn you call dis. Then yes, it. No, would yeah, that's what I mean. It's like, yeah, if you you're gonna play gateway to dis or key to dis, it becomes a gateway to dis. Right. I gotcha. Um, I was thinking on the same. Turn, oh no no, which, no no no. Um. All right. So curator strong. Yeah. No curator. question. Uh, so we'll move on to Time Traveler. We talked about Help from Future Self earlier. Time Traveler is up now. Um, just a refresher here. It's a bonus ember. It's a creature human scientist with two power. When you play it, you draw two cards. It has an action where you shuffle it back into your deck so you get it again. Um, we called Help from Future Self strong. I think we kind of intimated that Time Traveler was yeah, also strong. I don't know if we outright said no. it. It's strong. It's strong. It's strong. <laughs> yeah, totally strong. So we'll move on to the last card of our logo set review here. Um, Transposition Sandals. It is an upgrade. It gives you a bonus ember, and it says, This creature gains, quote, Action. Swap this creature with another friendly creature in the battle line. You may use that other creature this turn, end quote. Uh, this is strong. So it's funny to think about how this, like, there's, there's one clause in the entire card that actually makes this card better than the thing that Ryan was hating on earlier, which yeah. was uh, the Quantum Finger Trap. Right. This would be terrible if it wasn't for the last sentence. So this card lets you house cheat by swapping two creatures where they are in the battle line. Yep. Um, so this is a reprint. This is a reprint. Um, and it was, it was great in Coda, yeah. uh, which didn't even care about your battle line. I mean, there was some cards, but didn't really care about your placement in your battle line. And now we're in a set that does care about the placement of things in your battle line. And you get to mess around with that and also house cheat. Like, it's just straight up upside. And you get a bonus number just as a consolation. Yeah, like the two untamed creatures that care about the things that are left to right of it. Like, you can maneuver yep. them around on the battle line now. Like, it, it's it's a good card. Now you do have to be careful because uh, as as much as this helps you, it can also hurt you if you maneuver things in the wrong order. Right. You know, you can kind of shoot yourself in the foot by accidentally, oh, excuse me, accidentally swapping things that you don't want to swap. Right. Um, but it's it's still it's great. That that requires a tiny amount of of play skill to avoid those situations, but that's not hard to do. So um, that's great. So I I don't think we gave an overall feeling for our previous houses steve when we talked about them um so let's real quick we we just wrapped up logos here uh how would you feel about logos as a whole i they certainly changed uh from being kind of just the house that archives cards i guess to a house that really utilizes the the, the strengths that they were given yeah in the, in, in the first set like they like archiving cards are fine and like you got a ton of value out of it but at a certain point, like the house just didn't do anything to like essentially like in the in the house on its own, it really helped other houses move forward. It never really moved itself forward. Uh, I think that this set definitely brought them more in line with having their own pace to how a game, uh, how a turn is played out. Uh, yeah, that is, that is logos based and, and actually can get you towards winning the game as opposed to helping your other houses get you closer to winning the game. Yeah, it's it's definitely gotten the materials it needs to be a main house that you're calling turn after turn after turn. I think um, if we were going to grade Logos, I would put it, 
I'd put it in strong. Yeah, it's really strong. Not it's not the strongest house, but it is it's it's there. Yeah. It's like it's up there. Let's let's go back in time a little bit. How did you feel about Brobnar? I mean, it's similar kind of thing. Like I, I felt like Brobnar in Call of the Archons had a problem with identity and they mm-hmm. wanted to fight, but the game didn't really reward fighting uh, yep. in the same way as it rewarded just reaping. Uh, where now in Call of the Archon, I mean, uh, Age of Ascension, Brobnar gets a lot of benefits from actually fighting, like where fighting matters. Like it, there's enough stuff that they can do now uh, that that definitely brings them on parity with some of the other houses uh, right. previously. Uh, I think that Brobnar is still going to be average. Uh, it's better than it was in Coda, which it was just kind of bad in Coda. Like it, you just really had to get the right mix of cards for it to be relevant. And that didn't happen as often as you wanted um, this set. That's not as much of a problem, but you're still end of the day. You're still getting value out of fighting, which means your stuff is ultimately going to die you're still sacrificing your own materials to try to get ahead and it's just not as strong a strategy as some of these other strategies that we see um stealing archiving are stronger strategies than just fighting for benefit um but it's still it's still a good house it's still average and you know no house exists in a vacuum so brobnar with the right stuff alongside it is going to be strong but just you know if you had a deck that was all brobnar i don't think it would be as strong as decks that were all other things and i don't think it would be necessarily the strongest combination yeah, I no, I I still I feel like through because they doubled they did double down on amber loss and things like that in in Age of Ascension. Uh, I and like that that alone just taking amber out of the economy is really really strong. And then you have stuff like Bingle Bang Bang where you know it's it's not like it's not like that it's not like the cards that they had where it's just like oh, do do one damage to a creature that comes into play which ended up really being detrimental to you more than it really was you know positive more than you would gain any benefit out of it sure now like pingle bang bang like you swing it with him he's dealing five damage to his neighbors you know like and then just like drummer knot shenanigans that you can pull off and like with ganger chieftain specifically like just bouncing ganger chieftain constantly I'm not saying it's it's definitely not weak. I, I still feel it's uh I still feel it falls into average. Maybe. I don't know. I have to play with them more, really. Yep. I, I also Brobnar is in the in a, so we haven't seen Brobnar like this before. Like this is this is like what Coda should have been for Brobnar. So I could see them being a lot stronger than what I'm giving them credit for because they finally have the material they need to make it yeah. work. Um, so we'll have to see. So we'll move on to Dis. What did you uh, What did you think about Dis? Uh, Dis is still like I don't think Dis moved. Like Dis was strong in Call of the Archons, and I don't think that changed. And and like I don't think their power changed. It's just what they did is now different. I agree. I think that their complexity. So the only argument. So in the hands of a pro, um, Dis is going to be as strong, if not maybe a little bit stronger. Um, in the hands of a novice, there are a lot more uh, complex cards and complex lines of play in Dis than there were in the last set. Yeah. Um, it reminds me in a way of Mars, where a lot of people hated Mars and still to this day hate Mars because Mars requires correct lines of play you can shoot yourself in the foot by playing things in the wrong order there's optimal lines of play it feels very very confusing and it's easy to get overwhelmed and feel helpless with mars uh, both in coda and to a degree in, in age of ascension as well and dis in age of ascension feels that way as well you can shoot yourself in the foot by playing ember imps and bronze key imps and uh locking yourself out with the wrong things and playing the wrong things in the wrong
wrong orders, yeah. um, getting hung up on Omega cards, stuff like that. Uh, I think it has a higher skill cap, but it's very strong even so. Yeah, I mean, I even feel like this misplays end up still being really strong at times. Like, it, right. there's just too many times where it's just like, oh, well, I accidentally, you know, I three fates when I actually had, you know, two of the most powerful creatures. And it's like, oh, well, actually, but that actually killed this one elusive thing that I couldn't get rid of, that I needed to get rid of. And, right. you know, it, it's, 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 they're, they're definitely yeah. like a more high skill, like you said, but I, I think they're still really strong. Um, by the way, one thing we did get wrong, uh, and I wanted to correct it before we, we let, we ended this. It's uh, Shard of Pain is actually the one that does damage to an enemy creature for each friendly shard. Uh, you were right. Shard of Strength is the one that gives plus one, plus one counter to each uh, creature. So. Gotcha. It's still, damage would have still been in Brobnar's uh, Yeah, I, I don't disagree. <laughs> it's just like, I, you were right though. It's like plus yeah. one power. So uh, that's going to wrap up our Logos house review. Um, and we are kind of recording these ad hoc, so we'll get them out as quick as we can. We don't have an estimate on the next one. I know this episode's going up a little bit late. Um, just real life and, you know, time constraints. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll get them up as fast as we can, folks. Uh, sit tight and uh, hope you're enjoying them. Yeah. yeah, I think that's going to do it for us, everyone. So thanks for coming by. Check us out on social media. We are keychainspodcast.com. If you want to go download our episodes, direct people yeah. over to our episodes. Uh, I'm still catching up on YouTube, which we are keychainspod on YouTube. We're keychainspod at gmail.com if you want to shoot us an email. Uh, keychainspod on Twitter and keychainspod on Facebook and keychainspodcast on Instagram. Um, if you... I uh, want to hit us up on either Twitter or Instagram. That's where we're probably most active. I usually am the one on Twitter. Steve's usually the one on Instagram, yeah. but we both see all those things. So no, no talking about us behind each other's backs. Thank you guys so much. Uh, and definitely hit us up on those social medias. Like we said, um, let us know what you think. If you agree, you disagree. We want to become better players ourselves. Hopefully we're helping you guys become better players and talking, discussing these ideas is a great way to do so. So thank you very much. And uh, we'll see you guys next house.